now recording. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Game Club Podcast, where we're just some friends who love to duke it out with one another and fight to the death about the games that we wow. played this week. It's <laughs> that called we foreshadowing. Wow. Wow. <laughs> we may have talked well, I mean, prior to the recording, and I may have let slip that I came here prepared for war. Yeah, but I mean, we've like, decided that even regardless of that, like last episode, I'm pretty sure everyone listening to that ap- last episode was just like, holy shit, these people hate each other. <laughs> no, I dude, I just hate his opinions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And those are like, what, you know, 80 percent of what makes up me. So <laughs> I don't know, something over half, right? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah man. over there on the uh, West Coast, we've got a uh, Gabe and McCoy. What you doing, guys? Uh, we are trying desperately to fight back against personal identifying information. <laughs> That's what we're doing over here. Um, we've got tinfoil hats on and um, the weather is nondescript. Are you going back Perfect. to the previous episodes and like bleeping out any chance you had? Like anytime you said personally identifiable <laughs> information. They'll never find oh, us. Oh, that sounds like work. Right. <laughs> so we're safe then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're in good hands. We're in good hands. And then over there on the what I am going to be calling Central Coast, because it is a coast, god damn it. We're going to be um, wow. saying I, hi to Adam. Hmm, hi, Adam. Uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I reject that this is a coast. There is water. There, There's beaches. We have to import our sand, but... It's one of the largest lakes in the U.S. I guess so. I have to like find the Wikipedia page on coasts or something so I can like make a proper rebuttal. But something in me viscerally rebels against calling the Great Lakes I guess, coastal areas. <sighs> Adam, no. <laughs> don't. It's do already this. starting, you guys. We're un- we're devolving, unraveling. And as, as, a, as a native Michigander, we take our Great Lakes like with such pride, and we consider them coastal cities. Like all of the cities that are around the Great Lakes, we're like, oh yes, those are coastal cities. And then Adam just comes here and is just like, eh, it's not technically a coast. So you know what? Fuck you, Adam. Wow. Oh, we Dang, I love how Zoe's already at 11. Yeah, we, like, we do we <laughs> just love each ever. other in a way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just not yeah, love. It's say. something different. It's hate. Animosity? Wait, shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not love. It's a different four-letter word that starts with an H. Yeah, dude. All I can say, though, is that I love my fucking podcast description for last time. I don't know if you guys read the podcast descriptions. They're never long, but they're always just like weird fucking short sentences I put together. And it was like talking about like, like us just be like displaying like what love means, which is arguing at the dinner table about politics. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're like your description was something like, you know, today you'll get to, you know, a front row view of like when two people like each other very much and then they start arguing about <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah, it was some uh, stupid yeah. shit like that. But anyways, check the descriptions for stuff that's barely clever. This is the podcast Shout content out. I come for listening to the people on the podcast describe previous descriptions of their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, do we have James for a tweet read? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, James is still not with us, but he is with us in spirit. But we do miss his ad reads and we do miss his overall hilarious uh, presence within us. We also yeah, miss I love all the, fact the that he- funding that he gives because he was the one who is like talking to the sponsors. So we, yeah. we don't actually <laughs> get any money us, like, for any of these. 
It's true. He kept saying like, dude, it's it's going to come through. Like he's like that guy. He's like that guy was like Gil or something from Simpsons or he's just like Old Gil. Yeah, he's like, like the funding's going to come through. I swear. Like or maybe Bojack's a better example or like that that penguin from the publisher. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. He's like, dude, like we can really use you publishing a yeah. book right now. Like he's like, oh, I'll get to it. No, no. We're, you know, and the lights haven't turned on for the past week because I haven't been able to. So if you could just publish that memoir that we paid you for. Anyways, so that's what I feel like James kind of is about. Cause like, you know what I mean? Like he, like he just says that we're on the cusp of sponsorship, but do I believe him? If we ever get ads, he'll need to be the one to do the ad reads. You think so? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Even if he's not 100%. in the episode. We have to like cut him in. Yeah. He's like at his cousin's wedding. He'll be like, Hey, do the ad read. <laughs> do the dance. Do the dance. <laughs> Advertise our podcast, to all your friends and family. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God, please don't. But yeah. My favorite part about James is that when he laughs, it's like three times the loudness of all the rest of us. And so it just like blows out my whole audio chain. And I just like sit there specifically for like James and I have to add in like specific things like clamping down on him. Like basically I like I set the computer to be like, now this particular piece of the computer is going to look at James and it's going to look real close, like out of the corner of its eye, like kind of, you know, looking a little unsure. And the second he's loud, clamp down. Quick, quick, <laughs> knock it off. Yeah, exactly. And tell them something. Anyways, yeah, um, this is great quality content here. A um, virtu- virtual shock collar for James. <laughs> in addition to the real Dude, one. what if they have those t- things, right, that are like, uh, sh- they're not, okay, they're like shock collars, but they're like, they're vibrators, right? But you can control them with what your phone from you across talk? the country, right? No, it's, 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 I mean, it's yes, what we but. have for like, I mean, like. Like for the dog that I have, like we have what is called a shock collar on her, but it's not actually a shock collar. It just kind of like gives her like a slight little like vibration vib- on her neck to let it like let her know like, hey, you have a vibrator for your you. dog. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> well, this has already gone off the rails. All right. <laughs> this week we played Bioshock. <laughs> <laughs> With that yeah, said, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Oh, but yes, yeah, so if you haven't already detected the animosity among our group already with this introductory segment. <laughs> so yeah, this uh this is the week that we have finished Bioshock Infinite. So we have played from Arcadia all the way to the end. And when we last left off, there was uh quite some turmoil among our members, particularly when it came to the uh, presence of the Vox Populi within the game and the uh, ever-so-cringy line of Fitzroy and Comstock are one and the same. So, with that said, sit back, ladies and gentlemen. Grab some popcorn, because it's going to get spicy in here. Yeah, we're crack about your beers to, if you uh, have them. In fact, it's not only do I wish to continue the war from, from last time, but I have several more wars to begin. Um, right, and let me just say, like, Adam's already, like, primed me for this. He's te- texted me throughout the week being like, oh my god, I'm ripping your game apart. And meanwhile, I'm like you know, barricading my doors and being like, oh, you want to, you want to fight my game? I'm ready. Okay. So. I can't wait to listen to dad, dad, and mom fight about Bioshock. Dad, dad, and mom. Gabe's just going to be the kid in the background being like, dad, mom, are you okay? Dad? I don't like it when my parents fight. (laughs) 
Dude, is there anyone out there who's Mother. like the opposite of that? Who's like, dude, I'm down when my parents fight. Is that does that exist or no? Hell yeah, two yeah, Christmases, two Christmases. <laughs> dude, I had two Christmases. It's pretty legit. No, like people are like people are always like, oh my god, like how do you feel? I'm like, well, I get two Christmases, and they're like, no, no, seriously. And I was like, okay, yes, it's a little coordinating to make sure they're paying for the same one large thing as opposed to two small things. Like I'd rather it be, you know, the resources pooled, but. <laughs> Dad, you get the Xbox, Mom, you get the PlayStation. <laughs> oh my god, I fucking wish. It was more like, hey, Dad, could you get me an EB Games gift card? Okay, Mom, could you get me an EB Games gift card? And then it's like, and there's an Xbox. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, where did it come from? No, it's more like, there's a PlayStation 2, and then it's like, what is that game? God of War? And I'm like, well, I don't know, let's, here, do you want to see some? Okay, it's really violent. Okay, that's true. Okay, there's some titties too. Oh, Jesus. Um, this game is really... <laughs> quite inappropriate <laughs> don't look yeah okay uh but it's I educational mom and dad i swear <laughs> yeah the it, internet is not on my phone yet really, how am i supposed to see this shit it really gives good treatment of revolutionaries and political ideologies <laughs> and we all know that's what i'm looking for <laughs> so yeah yeah true that that you is get exactly. a lot of that in this game we played yeah true that there's a really really deep set of characters in this game that are called the Vox Populi, I where you really them. feel like there's a lot of like layers of depth to them. Yeah. <laughs> there was one really great line um, actually in this section. So like we just came off of, we, we had just killed uh, Fitzroy or Elizabeth did. And then apparently that bothered her. Um, <laughs> then she cut her hair off and it's all good. Right. Know, yeah. Exactly. Was it, wait, was blood, it with the same blood scissors? Blood is what makes a woman. Blood is what makes a woman. Wow. Wow. I didn't That was deeper that. than the entirety that, of Bioshock Infinite. <laughs> that could be taken many ways. I mean, it's yeah. been hinted at like all game, but okay, whatever. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Dude, I almost asked Zoe before we recorded, like, hey, could you just explain the end to me so I can sound smart on the podcast? <laughs> right. We'll get there in a minute. Because she, um, she's just like, Dude, it's been hinted at the whole podcast. And I'm like, or sorry, the whole, ep- the whole game, like, what's been hinted at? What Something's game? been hinted at? Like, are there audio logs? I <laughs> <laughs> was supposed to be listening to those. <laughs> Although, like, yeah, one thing that bothered I've... me was that repeatedly throughout the game, you pick up an audio log, and then Elizabeth is just like, "Hey, Booker, want to talk yep. about something?" It's like, no, I was listening to something that was worth <laughs> listening to. What's your problem? Oh, damn. <laughs> and thus, wow. the escort mission turned into exactly everyone's gripe about escort missions is that you have to babysit somebody. Yeah. Because so, there's just a couple times where you try to listen to an audio log and then Elizabeth just like her voice lines come over the audio like, Daisy Fritzroy, I've read about her. And you're like, yes, I'm trying to listen to her now. <laughs> Elizabeth, please. Hey, Booker, yeah. I found some money. I think my favorite glitch from this section of the game was uh, like, you know, Elizabeth's like, hey, book or catch or whatever. And I'm like, sure, press F to respect money. And uh, like she happened to be standing right next to me and she like flicks the coin up, but the coin disappears entirely. And I'm like, what's going on? And Booker holds up his hand and a coin floats down from behind Booker's head, phases <laughs> through his hand and he catches it and is like, thanks. <laughs> like, Dude, that's uh, like that trick where they're like behind your ear and yeah, they pull yeah. a quarter out or something. <laughs> Sweet magic trick. I guess if yeah. anyone, Elizabeth could do that because apparently her powers are to do literally anything that the plot demands. Uh, well, that's a nice tool. I wish I had that on my tool belt while writing a story. But I had something opposite, actually, where they actually like factored this into the game where she, she tossed me a gun for ammo, but I was right next to her, and she actually handed it to me. Really? I was like, what? They accounted for this? Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I definitely have never seen that. I, I've gotten so accustomed to like how they programmed some of the uh, like, hey, you've got stuff like and they toss it to you, like specifically the money around the vending machines. Like I'll walk into the vending machine yes. like a small kid yeah. in a candy store with no cash and I'll be like, oh, I really want this licorice, but it's two dollars. And then I'll walk out all like sullenly and then I'll hold the E-key, which for me is what the take is. And I she'll li- I'm holding it and she'll just go, hey, I found something. I'm like, yeah, I know. And she, like, I grab it like no look pass. And I'm like, all right, back to the vending machine. <laughs> and let's buy that shit. Yeah, I noticed that when you like get the you cast the thing on the vending machine, it spills out money. I know yeah. oh, you pick up this money. And she's like, hey, Booker, I found this. She's like, uh-huh. Where'd you find that? Yeah. You yeah. take that from my pile? Yeah, no, I seriously <laughs> think just, like I didn't look at the math of it, but I think that she is just like a passive like 10% multiplier on all the money that you get. I think it's just like as you get money, she like accumulates it. And then when she has you know, some randomly determined a threshold, she'll just chuck money at you that you sh- like could have just had from trash cans. And that, that was like part of, they tried really, really hard to make her not a burden. And like, you know, Booker could have picked <laughs> yeah. locks. Um, Booker could have just had like a portal gun to, or like a laser pointer that opens up tears or something like that. Like Elizabeth could have been written out, but because, well, not for other reasons, but like they attached a number of game mechanics kind of, in a um, shallow way to Elizabeth to make her feel less useless. Um, yeah. Which was, I think, a if it's not, it's not particularly sophisticated, but nor is it bad because um, it does help to accomplish her goal of having this mandatory escort quest not feel bad, even though, you know, she's invulnerable in combat and can't ever drag you down and only ever helps you. And But I guess it's probably the only way they could have made her not feel like a burden. You know what's weird about that, though? Like, I totally agree. Uh, but what's really weird is that um, both before you get her and during this last, this last third that we played where you're freeing her, the two those are the two instances where you don't have her. And the game feels almost naked and incomplete in those sections because it's like you can't like stockpile enough ammo or necessarily find it. Like at least in this last third, when I was trying to rescue her on, on hard with all those, um, those creatures that like Blair, the siren, and then all those little like dudes with the, all the like Washington. Fathers. Yeah. The founding fathers. Yeah, just yeah, like you. the little asylum people. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah. So I ran out of ammo, like fighting and plasmid and everything. And like uh, leading up until that section, there have been ammo dispensaries everywhere. Like every two seconds is like, dude, do you want to upgrade your weapons or buy some stuff? I'm like, okay, great. And then all of a sudden there's just nothing. And I ran out of literally all of my resources and I'm on hard mode without like a melee build trying to like survive. And it's like 10 to 12 hits per person melee. And I'm just desperately running around like bunny hopping, trying to survive. And I'm like, okay, like this is the game without Elizabeth throwing you stuff. Like this is the game. <laughs> it feels weird. Well, like that is, I think, a little bit different. So that particular segment, the asylum segment, um, like was like a that was a horror segment, right? You saw a lot of the same tricks that they did in Bioshock One, or a couple of them, like the person appearing right behind you. Um, there is the unexplained asylum wheelchair moving out from nowhere for no particular reason. Um, it will, you know, it has creepy dudes in masks and it's got the hospital theme, the asylum theme, which is somewhat problematically tied to horror. Like they decided to in- inject a horror sequence into the game and like the siren dudes are like, it's a stealth section too. Um, it's not a particularly sophisticated stealth section, but like no real gripes about that, uh, because 
it still isn't a mechanic this game really has, and they had to make a really simple, quick, dirty version of it. Otherwise, it'd be too cumbersome. Um, so, like, I think that section was one of the most interesting parts of the game, in part because the rest of it isn't. Like, there aren't totally different sections to the game for the most part. Almost every fight felt the same. And finally, they give you something that is a tonal shift um, and that has, like, mechanical changes to it. Um, you're extremely resource constrained uh, for large sections of that. Um, you know, Elizabeth isn't there to bail you out. Um, the enemies in some ways are like kind of a threat um, more than elsewhere, even though, you, well, you always revive for free, so it's not really a big deal, but not, okay, yes, not for free. Yeah, I'm addressing yeah, but, yeah pretty much. Whatever. Um, you have Which the is actually interesting because that's an unwind. That's an unwind from the original Bioshock where it was literally for free. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, it's a which I actually at the time when Bioshock came out and they were doing free revives, especially for a story game, one with a lot of atmosphere that you would hope everyone of all skill levels would play. That I, I thought that was a fucking brilliant move. And so it's weird to see them sort of like at least drain your currency, which then is draining your upgrade potential. It is weird to see them decide that here, like as a move that they wanted to do, like to undo from that decision, because I felt like that decision was such a profound statement. Of like, you're not returning to a checkpoint. You're actually just going to continue. Like, we're going to get you through this thing. If you died, we're not going to blame you for it. We're not going to say you fucked up. We're just going to say you need to go forward. And those people are still hurt. So go ahead. Yeah. Like, I I guess that section was most interesting to me. Oh, sorry to totally ignore your point, but. Um, <laughs> well, that's going to happen more later. So, yeah. foreshadowing. Sorry. Okay, I can, I can get, I can, I can. Talk about no, 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 that. no, I no, agree. no. I, I want to talk about the asylum, though. I really do, because to me, like that was a glimpse into what this game could have been if they decided to choose a horror genre instead of action genre. And I just wanted to like pull the people in this room, metaphorical room, about what they think about that, because I, I personally thought that was pretty cool, and I was almost. Um, disappointed in the sense that there wasn't more i think my disappointment is that it was the only like i wouldn't have wanted to see more of that specifically i think i would have wanted to see more interesting stuff throughout the game because like can you guys like think of particular firefights or particular like um there weren't many set pieces like there were in bioshock one where you get like jump scared or whatever um which is fine because it's not really a horror game but there weren't other particularly memorable set pieces throughout the rest of the game i felt and like every fight felt the same to me um did you guys get that same kind of sense aside from the obnoxious ghost fight and the asylum both of which are backloaded yeah Uh, i mean like i feel like a lot of the fight sequences were just how long could you withstand a certain wave of enemy instead of perhaps like a different class of enemy Like, I think as this last section progresses, um, it it really is just like how long you could withstand and all the enemies are relatively the same. Like you just have your regular like um, melee enemies and then you have your ranged enemies and then you always have like some flat cannon enemy as well. And then like the very last ship battle that you do in Bioshock Infinite, like you might have to deal with a few waves of like the Tin Men police. Really, I think the only way, the only thing that really distinguishes the fights is just with Lady Comstock, where like not only are you fighting with 
waves of people, but you're also fighting waves of the dead who give you little to nothing. And then, like, you're also trying to fight a ghost who just teleports everywhere, like, crazily and makes it very hard to aim for her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Quite honestly, mm-hmm. I felt like the Lady Comstock battles were, like, the hardest battles in the game. Um, like, I didn't even think the ship battle really, like, compared to the Lady Comstock battles as much and i that might just be because of the amount of armor they put on her plus the fact that she like just literally flies everywhere and is hard to aim at in the first place yeah Mm -hmm. i agree i agree too i think the 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 fighting in this game is a lot less memorable at least to me than yeah bioshock one was and um it was it was interesting how the the last boss wasn't really a boss it was like a tower defense yeah. Scenario where it's like, all right, defend this uh reactor thing. Um and then yeah, the the Lady Comstock thing was I think like overly annoying, especially on hard difficulty. Yeah. And to me it was just a huge a huge disconnect from like the story. It was like, okay, you know, this is kinda interesting. And then it just like suddenly it's like, all right, I summoned a ghost demon. Right. And like, so that's kind <laughs> of like, where okay. things started breaking down for me story-wise. And yeah. I'll get more into that later. But the whole thing is supposed to be like parallel universes and the the um, infinite worlds kind of theory of things. But like, that's supposed to be within reason. But if you're literally summoning ghosts that fly and revive the dead, you have now opened up, you know, a can of worms that you probably shouldn't have opened up. <laughs> Um, yeah, and the way they tried to like explain it's like Elizabeth's like, oh, it must be like my association of hatred for her, and then also she hated me, so it created this vengeful spirit. And it's like, is that how it works? Yeah, yeah they're, they're just like wizards. <laughs> Elizabeth is just a wizard. Yeah. The Lutesses are just wizards. Like they, I felt like this. Some of the writing in this game was like that guy in cargo shorts screaming words that you that he hopes will make you think that he's smart like quantum <laughs> entanglement and nonsense and it's like no you aren't paying any due to like the multiple worlds uh theory of things you aren't paying any attention to like what quantum mechanics are or mean or do you're just like shouting those words and then writing wizards into the story and you never right, even... adam come on mccoy's right here <laughs> wow <laughs> wow i i do... constants and variables okay right. that, um, that line jesus christ i'm so mad at that line okay no yeah i i, I, th- I was mad oh, at that line at first cool. but i actually okay. feel like it actually is is actually good, a good way of describing science? it i because I, it's like what, what she's trying to say is that there are certain things that happen in every timeline and there are certain things that change like right. that i understand but the problem is is that like you are provided with no rules whatsoever for how this works so like they have this big twist and this big segment at the end that's meant to be like a big revelation but they never bother to explain the rules to you so like the twist feels just like a deus ex machina because they're making they're writing the rules clearly to make what they want to have happen happen and but they don't even like tell you the rules they just aren't rules is the problem they just make what happened what they want to have happen happen and then claim that it was clever um like yeah, I, I feel like they're defining the rules at the end i feel like what this kind of felt like is like once you play the last third and you may potentially the last third of the last third you sit there and go oh this is the fucking story they wanted to tell this is where they wanted to take this and they wanted to make a series a crazy series that could allow them to do 
it's almost like what they did with To the Moon, where it's like this meta connecting storyline between Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite is the same way as this meta storyline of those people going in to these dying people's memories and lives and fixing that stuff. Like they wanted to create a universe like a, a, a fiction or something. They wanted to go this higher meta level. And so I feel like it's like they're defining the rules right at the end. But they mm. don't. The rules are to, never defined in any way that makes sense. To and, me, it seems like. So. Okay, go ahead. I know Zoe really wants uh, to get into this. Yeah. I was going to say quickly, to me, it seems like they kind of similar thing of what happened to Bioshock 1, where it's like they had this huge story idea and they wanted to make something fresh and unique and set about doing that. And the first half they did really well. And then we're like, oh, shit, we're running out of time. Slapdash the last half onto it and call it good. Okay, so I also will let Zoe in, but I want to jump in before. Wait, hold on, I'm an asshole. But it's like <laughs> I mean, no, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to it. Don't worry. <laughs> but what I think is that's a very interesting point that you're making, Gabe, is that they sort of have a similar to Bioshock One flow, except that I would change it slightly mm-hmm. in my eyes. It's yes, they started with the first half that was at least interesting and was like, oh, you're setting up a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then in this case, especially the scene where you're seeing old uh, Elizabeth who's destroying New York. You look at that and you're like, this is the ending that they wanted to show for Bioshock 1, where you finally break out of, the, of your world and you start affecting the rest of the world. Like, this is what they hinted at with like a barely animated cutscene in Bioshock 1. Like This is what they're trying to do. So I felt like they, in this game, instead of just having a good beginning, uh, and I think the Bioshock 1 beginning was better, but it was some of the best that gaming had had at that point. It's hard to live up to that. But... Bioshock 1 had that good beginning, and then it kind of trailed off a little bit, and then had some cool stuff, and then definitely flubbed by the end. But this game had a really cool beginning, and then they at least put a lot of effort into the back end as well. So it feels like they started with the beginning, they kind of went almost nowhere and in circles and who the fuck knows for a lot in the middle. And then they take you back into at least something interesting and something that you can try to understand and try to roll with at the end. So they at least had something going in the end. Although I think it was something completely different. I felt that they had a decent start, kind of muddled with it, did nothing, and then said, just kidding, and restarted entirely and wrote a different story for the last third of the game. Nah, and then kind of I'll disagree. I'm gonna agree with McCoy there. on this. I think they had a I think they had a good storyline at the beginning, then realized that they needed to have filler for the middle. So it's almost like, yeah, the opposite of the first Bioshock, where Bioshock kind of peaked in the middle and Bioshock Infinite kind of flubbed the middle, so to speak. Um, there's a lot of parts of the beginning of Bioshock Infinite that really connect with the end of the game, which makes me think that it's not a sort of, oh, just kidding kind of moment from them. Like they, I believe that they were planning from the very beginning to connect Bioshock Raptures with Bioshock's Columbia um, so would you do us game. a favor and would you, as the person who's already played this, because I didn't had not played the final third, essentially. I, I Okay, full disclosure, I had played up to uh, Lady Comstock, the ghost fight. But after that, this was all new to me. So I basically did not get any of the hints and all that stuff the way second way through. And I know you've been hinting to us that you were seeing flags along the way. So would you illuminate us about some of these flags that you've seen? Oh, boy. 
You or sure not. you want to go down that path? <laughs> I don't know. Do I? <laughs> get into like, it. Do we want to, like, get me at the yarn board, like, crazy yeah. bloodshot uh, eyes being like, this is what they've been telling us all along. <laughs> first, can you explain or try to explain the ending to us? Because I have tried to yeah. make sense of it, and I believe that I have found that it definitively does not make sense. Okay. So I, I actually have a whole flow chart in front of me. I'll have you know. A whole flow chart which explains the ending of the game. So buckle up. Fuck everyone. yeah. All right. <laughs> okay, so the one thing that they've been saying at the end of this game over and over has been constants and variables. So we know that there are two constants in the life of Comstack uh, Comstock slash Booker. The constant is that there's wounded knee. And then there's a baptism. That is the one constant. Now, the variable where timelines start to splice are at the baptism. So you can either take the baptism and become Comstock, or you can refuse to take the baptism and become Booker. That is the variable. Now, in these parallel universes, there are key players who parallel each other's universes, but are in different settings. So, for instance, if you become Comstock, then you have a physicist called Ro Rosalind Lutas who helps you float your city. While in Booker's universe, there is a an equivalent physicist by the name of Robert Lutas, who is the male version of Rosalind, but he does not float a city, but he's just as brilliant. Uh, in similar, Comstock has his lady Comstock, who is just a, you know, sinful woman who's been forgiven by Comstock. Booker has a wife who all we know in the game has just died from childbirth. That's all we really know of uh, her. And then another parallel is that Booker has a child named Anna, while Comstock is infertile for reasons that I will explain later. Um, so just having those kind of parallels that, you know, there's similar elements in each world, but they're different once compared to the two. Are you following me? <laughs> Dude, I am. This is craziness. I'm not high enough for this, but I okay. will attempt to get there. <laughs> so, so all we know is that wounded knee has happened, and when Comstock takes the baptism, he is forgiven for all his sins, and he becomes a quote-unquote holy man because of it. He gets a vision from this archangel Columbia to build a city. He, for reasons that aren't quite explained in the game, like he has some connections with Rosalind Lutes to kind of, and he starts funding her research and she floats his city of Columbia, which is this, you know, ethnosate that eventually, you know, becomes Columbia. And then meanwhile, Booker, who does not take the baptism, just lives with his sins. He, you know, has a wife, he gets her pregnant, she dies in childbirth. Thus, Anna is born and, you know, he just kind of lives this life of regret. Um, then there kind of becomes this kind of bridge in realities. So during this time, Rosalind Lutes in Colombia discovers that there are alternate realities and she has created a window into this other reality where she sees her brother, Robert Lutes, 
Um, and then she decides to uh, bring Robert into Columbia. And therefore, the universe is just kind of completely thrown off balance because she has brought a figure from one universe into another universe. Things are already starting to become fragmented. Um, okay, so then... Um, Comstock uses Rosalind's abilities to see through these tears into other realities, and he uses that ability to become a quote-unquote prophet, because basically he just asks Rosalind what's going to happen. Rosalind opens a tear. He knows what's going to happen. He knows other realities that are going to interfere with his reality, uh, which is how the whole false shepherd narrative comes into play. Because he can see that there's this other fragment of himself, Booker, which is actually also hinted in other voxophones. Like, I think if there's a couple of voxophones that you um, pick up with Comstock, he's like, you know, when a man becomes baptized, you know, who is that man who's left in the water on the wayside? Like, you know, when a man becomes baptized, a different man comes out. But who is that man who's left in there? And that's because he, through the help of Rosalind, has seen these tears and he knows what his alter ego self is, who does not take the baptism, the man left by the wayside. So he's fully aware of this other Booker character. Um, but in doing so, in looking through these tears and using this contraption to become a prophet, he makes himself sterile. Um, so he is no longer able to pass on his seed to, uh, you know, keep on his legacy of being a prophet. And so therefore he becomes desperate because he's just like, you know, I, I'm a holy man now. I've got this whole city who, you know, is devout to me. I need to keep on my legacy, but I'm sterile because I've been doing all this stuff to become a prophet in the first place. I need a child. And he knows by looking through these tears that his alter ego self, Booker, uh, ends up having a daughter named Anna. So he's like, uh, well, that's my alter ego self. Like, let's steal my own child, basically. Um, and so he, um, so Robert Lutess goes back to his own reality, aka the reality of Booker living with his sins. And crafts up this whole narrative of bring us the girl and wipe away the debt because Booker in this timeline living with his sins and becoming very depressed, his wife dying because of childbirth, he's racked up all this gambling debt and he's, you know, become an alcoholic. Robert basically takes advantage of that and is like, okay, well, sell your daughter, wipe yourselves of your sins, and I will give this daughter to this other Comstock. Are you guys following me so far? It's very silent. Yep. It's <laughs> just just say yes. Right? Just, I think we're listening. Just letting you I'm go. listening. <laughs> I'm following. So, yeah. Yeah. So basically, Robert then takes it like basically the whole Columbia faction plus Robert takes advantage of Booker's um, depression and his desperation to sell his daughter to wipe away his debts in order for Comstock to gain the lineage that he never was able to um, to earn because he's become sterile from his, uh, you know, profit nonsense. 
Um, so Booker sells his daughter because he's death desperate. Comstock gets his heir. But then in the middle of that whole thing, Booker realizes after selling his daughter, oh shit, I done fucked up. Like, I fucking sold my daughter just to get some gambling debts paid off. Like, Whoops, I don't well. actually feel all that better. <laughs> and okay. so, uh, yeah, so he actually tries to intervene with Robert and Comstock trying to go back into the Columbia universe. And in doing so, Elizabeth loses her pinky finger. Right. Um, part of her in and both in doing tears. so, yeah. So Elizabeth is now part of both universes, which therefore grants Elizabeth the, the ability to now open tears and become part of multiple universes. Sure, why because not? she is actually a part of a part of both. What do you mean? Why not? <laughs> I, I mean, it's uh, I, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> yeah. It is also <laughs> fiction. I will just like throw that out there as what? like a blank. I know. Right. Um, but I think that okay, sorry. Go yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. This is awesome, yeah. by the way. Thank you for fucking running it down for us. Uh, mere mortals. No worries. <laughs> um, but um, I guess all I'll say is like Booker is living with a sorrow for 20 years. And in that 20 years in Columbia, Anna is renamed Elizabeth and Comstock tries to keep Elizabeth as part of the family, but Lady Comstock in the com in the Columbia uh, timeline, she realizes that this child has come out of nowhere, and she's very suspicious. She thinks that you know Elizabeth is a product of a an affair, um, specifically an affair between Rosalind Blutest, the physicist, and Comstock. Um, but in reality, it's Comstock bringing her from another dimension. And in doing so, Lady Comstock banishes the child to uh, Monument Island, and Comstock takes Elizabeth to Monument Island, which is just this um, little, I guess, safe haven away from Lady Comstock, but also safe from the public eye. Um, and because Elizabeth now has the ability to open tears because she is a part of both universes, um, her abilities to fragment and manipulate time uh grow stronger with age and this actually calls back to the first uh, time we played through this game um like you can see when you first walk into monument island there's a type of siphon that you can like, flip switches for and change things um you know you can change books from one book to another or teddy bears from one color to another color but as she's growing older, these tears are getting more and more serious in that she can actually manipulate the setting she's in and she can actually walk through time. So in order to uh, curb her power, they create the siphon, which, you know, basically does what is named like it siphons her power. Um, and makes her weaker than she actually is. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just basically created to, like, curb her transportation tendencies. But yet again, like, there's a part of that that's not working well. Like, I think there's a voxophone where Rosalind says, like, you know, there's there's another part of her there's another part of Elizabeth for, from where she came, you know, and the universe does not like its peas mixed with its porridge. So like 
clearly, despite the siphon's powers, like Elizabeth is just growing stronger with age. Um, and so, um, then, you know, there's like the three truths you discover throughout the game. Uh, so like Lady Comstock discovers that Elizabeth is actually from another dimension. She realizes that Comstock is moving against his enemies to appear more powerful than he is. And Lady Comstock refuses to keep a secret, so she is ultimately murdered for threatening to reveal his secret. Um, at the same time, Comstock orders the Lutesses to be murdered because, you know, they know too much as well. And now that he has his heir, like, he, that's all he needs. He doesn't need anything else. So he tries to murder them, but at that point, the Lutezes are a part of multiple dimensions because Rosalind brought Robert into a dimension. Um, so they're kind of fragmented in time for that. And then, um, you know, basically he creates this narrative after killing Lady Comstock that Daisy Fitzroy has done this. And then he also... Um, you know, at, at this point, like, the universe has become so out of whack that things are just so ri ridiculously unstable and Elizabeth's powers only grow because she's getting older and now, like, she's out of her tower because of Booker and, like, you know, things are really starting to kind of become off-kilter. Um, and so... Um, I guess with that, like, that just kind of brings us to this game. You know, Booker's been living with his regret for 20 years, and Robert comes to him because the universe is so off-kilter. Robert comes to him with this narrative of bring us the girl, wipe away the dead, um, which is something that has existed in Booker's previous timeline, but now exists in this current timeline, but is manufacturing memories based off of a different a, I guess a different meaning does that make sense like I instead mean, of I understand you whether or not it makes sense is a different question <laughs> well so like instead of like you know sell us your child and wipe away your gambling debts now right. it's just you know yeah. bring us this girl you don't know of and wipe away your gambling debts I guess but, yeah, um, it's just it's weird to me because in other instances where you hop worlds, you end up with two sets of memories and you are aware of both of them. Like when Booker uh, went to the world where Booker was a martyr, uh, he just like says, oh, I remember doing all of these things. Like he actually just has proper memories of his martyrdom. And he's like, oh, yeah, I remember dying. So like he didn't have the same kind of um, memory rewriting as was like, it's the same scenario. He was brought from one universe to another by way of uh, dimension magic. And in one situation, he rewrites his memories, and in the other, he just gets both. Is that correct? Yeah, like, so it harkens back to the very first quote you see at the beginning of the game from, we don't know if it's Robert or Rosalind. It's just coined as R. Lutes, but it just says, the mind of the subject desperately attempts to create memories where none exist. Um, I mean, that's the, the way they explain it, but that doesn't match with the way it works elsewhere in the game, right? Well, I mean, I, I think with how this game should be played out, like, it's not... 
if you were to hearken back to distant memories, then from day one of Booker being at the lighthouse and going up to Columbia, he'd already be hearkening back to distant memories. Um, I think there's just a element of reveal that they probably don't want to give away immediately. Like, um, I mean, like really the only, the only ways you are ever hearken back to the actual bring us the girl and wipe away the dead, AKA sell your daughter is when you die. Um, when you're transported back into your, you know, your, your office and, you know, you have to discover that you, oh shit, you actually have a daughter and like, oh shit, I'm selling my daughter. Why do I want to do this? Like, you can't really reveal that early on in the game, like right off the bat. Right. If you like, I know why they did what they did, but I'm saying it doesn't, makes sense it leads to an inconsistent rule set right like i understand why they had the they just have convenient amnesia effectively um so that you can have a proper start to the game um but then elsewhere they decide to instead of that being the case you just get all sets of memories I mean, I, I mean, I was just trying to struggle to figure out how they could have depicted that without destroying the reveal of the game towards the end. And I don't think there really is a way, but I think that it's just like, I guess my claim is that it's somewhat lazy writing because they have... And this is goes back a little bit to what I was saying earlier that like the ending is a deus ex machina no matter how you cut it because the rule set that you are given changes at the whimsy of the writing. Like they just like decide that jumping through realities means different things at different points. So when you get to the ending, they jump through a number of realities and then say, and this time this is what's going to happen. And then they make that happen. So it's like a very unearned twist in my view. Because, like, they did do some so-called foreshadowing by just kind of saying some things and then saying the same things later in a lot of cases. Um, but, like, the rules have changed dramatically from other situations where you're jumping through dimensions to this one. So, like, you couldn't have seen it coming. It doesn't match with what happened previously. It's just that they have decided that, oh, well, we're going to have this particular big shocking thing happen because it makes for a great exclamation point on the game and this will work out because dimension magic has no rules i mean i think i think probability also is a factor in this in that you are aware that in most of the probabilities of the universe booker tries to save elizabeth and fails and like supposedly the one playthrough you're doing is like the one time in a million that booker succeeds but aren't there millions and millions and millions of millions like it's an infinite world theory right i mean sure but like they they try to make it at a scale that is believable to the player and 
I don't know. I guess, I guess I don't see, I, I guess I didn't really think that deeply into it, but like, I, I mean, I still found the reveal to be like cool in its own right because of that. Um, like, I don't know. Like, I, I think the game tried its best in the capacity that it had to depict this kind of alternate reality outcome. And just because it didn't account for every single possibility that every player could possibly think up, like, I don't think they should be penalized because of that. So I guess the issue that I take with it is it like, rather than starting um, and like writing a set of self-consistent rules and then um, having the story follow from that, uh, because they did not do that, um, like, which is in many cases fine. If you're writing a narrative that's about something, it's kind of fine to play a little bit loose with that stuff because you're going to say something else. Um, but I didn't feel that this game... A, either, or either A, engaged with the source material well, like the multiple universes theory, like, like they didn't explore what that means from a um, uh, kind of a material perspective. Like they didn't actually try and get the player to think about the implications of that because, you know, they didn't actually have the rules. They didn't really pay attention to the source material, so to speak. And they didn't really get into what it properly means anyways there's a lot of other games and movies that i've seen that have done kind of a better job with that and i can get into that later it's part of why um, i have a movie that you guys are going to watch for homework i hope that does a much better job of tackling the multiple realities uh question um but in the case it doesn't do that so it doesn't have the kind of sci-fi appeal of like hey let's explore this kind of thing and these rules and what they mean so it doesn't have that appeal um but it also like what do you have like a um, a way to explain what the theme of it is otherwise? Like what did they actually show and what, uh, I guess, it's not necessarily that we have to learn a lesson from it or that we have to, that they have to like come out with a statement, but like what is the point of the the ending and like what is the game about, so to speak? Because I couldn't find anything. Like it's not really about... Uh, like family mattering it's not really about like making uh, sacrifices for the greater good or something like that it's not um it doesn't i can't figure out i can't get a foothold on this do you have any do you guys have anything about that i mean i'm curious to to see what what people might think about that but just like i want to before all that conversation starts like i I guess the necessity of having a statement like that to me is perplexing. Like, does it need to have a thing that it wants to tell you, like family matters? Does it need to? Like, in other words... Well, no, and I said that it didn't. Right. So I guess, like, but, I'm, okay, so maybe people have degrees as to what that might be, but to me, like, that not having that is actually the sign of a more believable story to me. Um, because it's like, was this believable if you, to you? I'm not, it's, it's, it's just like, if you can tie it up in a bow and be like, and that's why I would always sacrifice myself for, it's like, okay, yeah, fine. But like, if you're just sitting there being like, we're trying to figure this nonsense out at the same time that the universe is presenting it to us, that feels like more like player experience matches us up with the 
experience of the actual game in, in the sense of like, I think what they're trying to do from an outside the game perspective is set up a, a fiction that they can make multiple Bioshock places in where they can be telling the same story in a sense in vastly different but very cool places. The Bioshock so, cinematic universe. Basically, yeah. I mean, I really, I really do think that is what they're trying to do with this. And actually, that's pretty cool. Like when you go to Rapture for a second, you're like, oh, this is pretty sweet. Um, but then when you realize like we are now trying to say, in theory, if we make more of these games, that we could go to other places in this similar vein and it could be tied together some way and you could see hints at other places you've loved before, like Bioshock and, you know, <laughs> I don't know if loved Columbia is like the right way to put it. But, you know, it's like loving Rapture is the, also the wrong way to put it, too. But you know what I mean? Like in terms of you enjoyed those uh, exploring those worlds. So that's like the outside of the game motive. But like inside of the game, I don't think it really needs to boil down to like. And that's why this right. is a good thing to do. So I haven't, again, I didn't say that that was required. I, I guess I'm failing to figure out what the point of it all was. And that doesn't, the point doesn't have to be them moralizing at you about a specific thing. It could be a character study. It could be um, tracing an interesting character arc. It could be talking about some big philosophical question without necessarily answering it. Um, there's lots of things you can do that like have a point and have a, a thesis, even Might if it isn't like outright thing and i can't it, figure out what that is for this might it be universe construction like that's what it is to me if i were to look at it i mean i i don't have the level of depth that like clearly zoe has just displayed to all of us with this game but i just sit there and it's like to me it's they're building a universe that's the point the point is connecting everything at this meta layer and that so, oh go ahead they've constructed it poorly as i said before like they don't actually have a set of uh like they haven't constructed a world. They have said dimension magic exists and it will do exactly what we need it to do to serve the narrative. Um, yes. And, and to then the, the moon narrative is similar. Not. But like, I don't see as heavy a criticism for to the moon to do that. And I feel like that might come from a place of whether or not you enjoyed what the game was doing with its themes, etc., as it's being played. And then that's sort of back affecting how you feel about the rule set of the world. Cause I don't think to the moon was like an incredibly consistent no. rule set. Again, I didn't say that it needs that. Like you, you're, I don't think maybe okay. you're missing some of the things that I'm saying. Okay. Because um, like you, they don't have a consistent rule set, and the problems with that specifically is that it means that it's not really going to be a sci-fi thing, like a study about what this, what the implications of this particular rule set mean, what it means to be in a world where you are now bridging the gaps between the the infinite worlds theory. Um, like it's not exploring that because they haven't set up. That that hasn't been set up to make any sense, um, and uh, like the twist is kind of unearned because this the rule set doesn't work. I'm not saying that you need to have a self consistent rule set. The reason to the moon worked was because it was a good narrative arc. It was a good character study in uh, the old man as well as the two scientists, and like doing the right thing even if it means breaking the rules uh, is like a big thing and kind of the nervousness around that. Um, so in like what it means to do your job and those kinds of things, like it explores those things, right? It's doing things that don't rely on a consistent rule set. So they don't need one. You're all wrong. The story of this game, the theme is that you are your own worst enemy. 
Okay. <laughs> and then you are your final boss. Exactly. Or that you drown yourself. You have to drown yeah, your could, Oh, by the way, that's, self. A quite, that's quite a theme, right? Where he drowns himself in the baptism water. That's like a beautiful little uh, narrative sort of uh, callback. I don't know what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? Like so reference? Is it about Booker self-destructing? I mean, like, like part of it certainly is. I mean, that is a thing that happens, but is it about that? What does it mean? What does it do with that? Dude, it could, you could take this as far to say this is about suicide being the answer. Because that is um, the so answer. So I want to hear from end. Zoe because Zoe has probably thought about this more than any of us. And oh, McCoy is clearly. Just shoot oh, sorry, the shit. Zoe, please go ahead. <laughs> you don't want to hear me bullshit in my ass. <laughs> okay, well, fine. All right. I mean, I am interested to hear what you guys possibly think from all of this. I'm not going to try to invalidate any of that um uh, can i say something that you'll want to invalidate perhaps i think this was uh <laughs> us watching ken levine masturbate about how good of a writer he is first of all like there hot. we go there's yeah. the noting point i, I sent oh, i sent away this note <laughs> earlier because i'd written this down the like I had written down in my notes, uh, this game is like watching Ken Levine masturbate for 12 hours. Because, like, the, the, I feel like it's Impressive a thing that writers. <laughs> Can we get him on the podcast? Yeah, what the fuck, man? <laughs> Let's please not actually at this point. I think that'd be very awkward for me. Let's just play him um, the, the episode two where <laughs> just see how he. Anyways, this is Adam, your biggest fan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like this kind of like ah, but check out this cool twist and time shenanigans. Like, but then they don't do anything with it. Like, they don't explore anything interestingly with that, in my opinion. Or do they? Right. Perhaps they did, and perhaps I'm too dense to have realized it. Um, I certainly didn't catch that, and I couldn't really find... Well, Zoe, go ahead and tell us what well, this game is about. And, and I don't... And I will, I will preface this by saying I don't blame you for not catching that. I mean, it is a very difficult thing to figure out on your first playthrough. Plus, having not played the preceding or the um, succeeding, the succeeding thank yeah, you, <laughs> the, the succeeding DLC that follows this. But um, as much as some people will argue that the twist of oh, Rapture has just been a part of this this whole time. And, you know, it's actually in a universe, like a parallel universe to this. Like, as much as that seems to be random, there's a, there are hints in this game that pertain to the connection before that reveal is even made. And I think that's honestly the point of Bioshock Infinite is to establish this timeline that links rapture with columbia and creates this whole timeline narrative thing and at the end of bioshock infinite it sets it in motion um and the whole connection isn't revealed later until the dlc so i don't want to reveal too much of that um but like it it is evidence in the gameplay that there already is some connection with this outer world, um, particularly when it comes to the Fink Industries section. Um, you know, Jeremiah Fink has been lauding his brother for finding these tears in the universe that, you know, oh, you, you hear this beautiful music coming through and like, you know, you, you basically get to plagiarize this music and you've become a, you know, great hit of a musical composer. So like good on you for like, you know, ripping off 
future artists' work, I guess. Um, but there is one particular voxophone that kind of hints at something else. And there is one where Jeremiah Fink says, you know, these holes have revealed to me another wonder. And it's revealed to me, you know, this universe that has constructed a hybrid of machine and man. And maybe I'll want to do something similar, a.k.a. Songbird. Um, and so that kind of hints at the, you know, could perhaps that machine and man hybrid hint at the big daddies that he's been seeing in this other universe, perhaps. You know, he's been seeing these hybrids and he's like, hmm, that's a cool idea. Let's bring it into Columbia to, you know, accompany Elizabeth. The same as, you know, this one. So this one machine or the uh, handyman. So right? maybe. Yeah. yeah. So perhaps the handyman as well. Hold on. So then um, correct me if I'm wrong, but then your your thesis that is it that this game is meant to be a large callback or a bridge to the world of Rapture. Correct. So it doesn't really say anything and the ending where the Elizabeth, I guess, uh, drown <laughs> a booker from the wrong timeline to kill all Comstocks somehow. Like, that doesn't track. Um, like, that isn't related or useful at all. Um, I mean, I, I think the big part of this storyline has to deal with the fragmentation of time and the manipulation of time, which has only been created through this divergence of baptism of Comstock and Booker. Because before that even happened, like, no time travel shenanigans have even tried to happen. I mean, there were... For whatever reason. There were so, alternate universes prior to that point, though. So, so wait. So, it's not a alternate universe. It's a universe fragmentation at that point. Is that what you're trying to say? In that that yeah. is the f start of the f fork or the forest. You know what it I mean? It isn't, it, though. It's the tree, I guess I'm trying to say. The, the baptism is the start, for sure. I mean, like, all the fragmentations that happened after that, the martyrdom of the Vox Populi movement, the, you know, everything after that is done after the baptism. I mean, that's... There, well, so the start of the fragmentation is when the Lutesses discover it. Um, and the start of the fragment... Or the start of there being multiple universes happened prior to anything related to Booker because there are two different Lutesses. There's two completely but separate universes. But you could say that Rosalind only figured out the fragmentation due to the funding of Comstock. You know, him funding her and all of her research to discover these tears even further. I see. Uh, I, I, so I see what you're both saying. So Adam, you're saying like, but why is that the fragmentation point is what you're trying to say, right? Like if, sort of, if yeah, like later that leads to other events, why would that later event not be the fragmentation point? If you're so like the multiple universes theory often has is often phrased like anytime two different things could happen, you end up with two universes, one in which uh, option A was taken and one in which option B was taken or C or D or whatever. Like, so you end up with this, um, uh, 
fractal explosion, basically, of infinite infinite branches where anything is possible, including, apparently, uh, literal ghosts with resurrection powers. But again, I guess let's we can ignore that for now. Eh. Um, and, like, a branching point that we are aware of is uh, which gender or sex, I suppose, is more accurate, uh, which sex the Lutesses were born as. Um, that is the earliest branching point that, like, is revealed to us definitively. Um, but so if you're going to buy into that cop outline about constants and variables, like there are two large paths um, that have been taken uh, prior to this point. So there is male Lutes universe in which Comstock exists or in which Booker accepts the baptism and in which he does not. And there's female Lutes universe in which Booker accepts the baptism and in which Booker does not. So there's four paths. And drowning... No. Uh, no. Just no? no. Uh, okay. Well, no. Like, so Rosalind only exists if Booker took the baptism, a.k.a. becoming Comstock. And Robert only exists in the universe where Booker does not take the baptism. Is there any, like, why do you think that? Because it's against the because idea of the multiple universe theory. Ga- the game never never suggests an idea of there being a Booker and Rosalind in the same universe. It's always Comstock and Rosalind or Booker and Robert. I guess it kind of makes an a my reasoning behind why it would be that way is because of the typical phrasing of the multiple universes theory. Um and e- even if you decide to adhere to the cop outline uh, about constants and variables, like those are all branching points, right? And so are you like, I guess, is it a butterfly effect sort of thing where if Rosalind is born, then there is zero chance ever of Booker refusing the baptism for reasons yeah, this is Bioshock rules, not real life rules. Well, real life right. rules. Right, like that's a the really thing. Though, that they, for this. they they do the they do the rules so dirty that no, I, you I, can't make heads or tails of it. Yeah, I agree with you because I don't think the fact of Booker taking the baptism or not would really affect the outcome of the sex of the Lutessa. In other words, what you're saying, Adam, cut. You know, obviously, speak up if I'm wrong. Keep up, keep up. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm just trying to like, (laughs) you know, consolidate it all into my dense monkey brain, which is just that imagine there's one timeline. We've made it all the way back to the beginning timeline. And there is a moment in time that happens. A Lutess is born, right? So we don't know which it would be. And if it was the male, then... Right, that would lead to Booker. If it was the female, then that would lead to etc. Right, but so then then For reasons question mark yeah. Right, right, but the but 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 the point I feel like you're trying to get at is that that's the branching point, is who's born there. Now wait, hold on. I, I personally just want to ask. They refer to themselves as brother and sister. Is it possible that they both exist, but one doesn't come to prominence? Mm, no, I don't think so. That's okay. silly because like. The Rosalind Lutes is like, ah, oh, and finally I can be with my brother, and this is all we really need. And like, if there's another 
uh, Lutest, like the actual Lutest brother, and he's just like, "Hey, what the fuck?" Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm a lawyer. What are you doing? <laughs> I do remember yeah. this is a perfectly like, respectable profession. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? I mean, I guess like the only thing that hints at, I guess, quote unquote, prominence is like the fact that she brings her brother over and he's starting to hemorrhage. Like there's clearly something wrong with him and being brought into another universe. There, yeah, there was isn't accounted for. There was a voxophone about that. I can't remember the specifics of it, but she did talk about like this, like the plan succeeding that it would basically like tear them apart to, I think their respective universes mm-hmm. or something to that degree. If I remember yeah, correctly. Like, no, yeah, yeah, you're you're on the right track. Like, basically, she brings Robert over, and he's starting to have the brain hemorrhage, aka the nosebleeds that are hinted at throughout the game of like being able to remember two things at once. Um, and so she is destined to have like a sort of cure for that, but she never it never really hints at whether she succeeds of that or not, which I don't think she does. But then she talks about how the only, like, basically because the universe is so fragmented, because Robert's hemorrhaging, like, Robert is like, we need to bring the girl back from where she came. Like, we, we need to, you know, we, we brought Anna, a.k.a. Elizabeth, into Columbia. We need to bring her back as Anna. And either that or, like, you know, I'm going to leave you forever kind of thing. He kind of threatens being in that universe forever. And because Rosalind can't be away from her brother, she's like, okay, like we're going to try to fix this universe for one reason or another. Wild. Um, yeah. (laughs) Mm. I guess like the nosebleeds are also weird because they only, they appear to be a thing that only happens when you die in another universe. Um, or rather, in- not necessarily die. They just remember another another memory from that time. I mean, it's only displayed in the game as you know they remember being dead. Right. That's what but, I'm saying. Yeah. Is that all of the times that this happened previously? It's specifically around a death, and that includes the time that you kill Comstock uh, when you when you bash Comstock's head in and then drown him. You get a nosebleed, which doesn't like you don't get the other memories either at that point or maybe you do and booker just doesn't say anything um like they play a lot of calvin ball with these rules like for that matter does everyone else in the universe because if you kill someone and then hop universes to a universe where they aren't dead they get all messed up Um, but that only happens if someone is dead but other people tend to get memories like memory things happen in some cases, but not in others when uh, reality hop and hap hops happen anyways. So like every time you hop universes, does everyone just like have a major panic attack? But that doesn't happen either. So like, who does it happen to? When does it happen? Like, what is the nonsense with these memories? Like you see it happen to soldiers at some points when you kill them in one universe and not in the others. Or in, and they are alive in the other, and they remember being dead. Because I guess you carried those memories with you when you hopped. But then everyone else in that universe, despite them, in theory, 
they should have two sets of memories now because they were alive in both. It's like they don't care. They don't notice. But that happens to Booker where you go from Booker's world to Comstock's world. And like the very first thing that happens in the game and you just like overwrite memories. So like, this is why I'm kind of saying it doesn't make sense. Do you get me? Do you think the next Bioshock? Like, and that's not the only thing either. Playing like, as time why police. Does... <laughs> <laughs> I do think they could take it in a very interesting direction where they follow the Lutesses as the most interesting characters. Potentially they are the source of the splitting and they're the ones who follow through universes. But okay, sorry. I do. I right. think, uh, Adam, I do see it's really re- i think i'm just too dumb honestly um to follow the multiple timelines and like fully through but i i see what you're trying to get at would you mind re saying why like what you would expect the beginning of this game to be based on the rules that you understand in this universe in other words what memories should he have etc in the very beginning i mean the thing is is that there aren't rules so like uh, if we follow the, the, the like expected thing that would happen when you're going through the Vox Populi section. So when you, uh, take Chen Lin and like revive him and then get his tools, like those two hops, um, involve Booker, like remembering that he's dead in one, but not having a bonus set of memories in the other. So that has a conflict there. So that seems to imply that you only have memory shenanigans when you enter a universe in which you are dead or someone enters your universe from a universe in which you died. So that happens to like the getting memory overloaded from a universe where someone had died happened to those two soldiers, um, who you killed and then hopped universes to a different version. Um, and the hopping to a world where you have died happens to Booker when you remember you're murdering, you're martyrdom. Um, however, Booker and Comstock are both alive um, when you hop in the the initial like beginning of the game hop that we don't get to see. Um, that appears to cause some memory overwriting um, because that's what they describe it as later. Um, but that didn't apparently happen to. Uh, or I guess they didn't really show whether or not it did, but when Comstock entered your world to take Anna, or entered the player character's world to take Anna, that Booker didn't have a memory overwrite from Comstock. So it happens sometimes and not in others, and there's no way to reconcile which times it happens and which times it doesn't. I think that has to deal with the probability of things happening like the only reason that the martyrdom actually happens for booker is he still comes to columbia with the pretense of bring us the girl wipe away the debt except in that instance they've managed to evacuate elizabeth monument island is a ghost town and he doesn't even know where to start looking for her and then slate recruits him for the Vox Populi movement and they, you know, fight for the movement for a little bit before he decides like, oh, like, fuck, I have this idea of 
finding this girl, but I've died because of this cause. So like, it doesn't really matter. So like, I think it just has to deal with the timelines of you just merge to a timeline where still the same thing happens up until that point. Um, like the, the moment you merge from when Chenlin is not murdered you're still on that track of managing to get Elizabeth and continuing on your quest, therefore not having that uh, hemorrhaging split personality nosebleed. Whereas from the moment of the tools being in the lockup to the tools being in the shop, like that is a moment from you being able to find Elizabeth and bring her along to you never finding Elizabeth in the first place and becoming a martyr. Like, I I think there is reason for there being hemorrhaging versus not hemorrhaging. I, I think it just has to deal with the probability of whether or not, A, you even make it to Columbia versus B, even being able to find Elizabeth versus C, succeeding in rescuing Elizabeth. I guess I don't follow that um like are you is it because the probability like i don't understand what you mean by probability in this situation because like all of these things definitely happen and i don't know would you mean like which percentage of universes in which this happens yeah but it's yeah it's, it's exactly one like percent the, the, sorry not one, the million million universes like it, it, it happens you know, there are just a certain percentage of universes in which booker finds elizabeth and brings her along for all of their escapades but there is a certain percentage of Booker not being able to find Elizabeth and becoming a martyr for the Vox Populi. But there's exactly one of each version of a universe, like of each specific universe, which you actually go into. So like the probability is the same for every universe. Um, like certain events happen one way or another, but like every branching point is a branching point, And there is one of those universes that has taken all the branching points that bring it to where it is. Like that's usually how like that kind of thing works. And in addition to that, like you end up getting a nosebleed when you kill Comstock towards the end of the game, like right before the big finale on the bridge. So why did that happen? Because that's not even tied to a universe jump. That's just tied to an alternate universe version of you dying, which seems to indicate that the nosebleeds and hemorrhaging are specifically tied to deaths. But that... They're, they're not tied to deaths as much as they're just tied to being conflicted with which memories are the true ones. I, it just happens in this game that it's, you know... It's in response to death, but the reason why Booker has that nosebleed after he kills Comstock is because Elizabeth's asking him, you know, what happened to my finger? Like, you know what happened to my finger? What happened to my finger? And Booker is saying, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. But in reality, that Booker should know what happened to her finger. So then there's that hemorrhaging. It's not due to Comstock dying. It's due to that question of what happened to my finger. Okay. I guess it's like, it still doesn't 
it still doesn't track for me. Like I, I can agree with that, but there's a lot of contradictions here that I'm not seeing resolution to. And I think that specifically there cannot be resolution to like, there's just straight up contradictions here where like their rules are different at different times. There isn't a playbook they're working from. Like that is my assertion about the dimension wizardry that's happening here. I just think you're going too far into it. Like, I think you have to understand that, like. I, and that's fine. Like it can be a game with loose rules. Like internal consistencies are not like, I don't want to be that guy who's like, this game or this story is internally inconsistent and thus I must write it off forever in all regards and it can never do anything. Too late. This game doesn't appear to... (laughs) No, no, that's not what I'm saying (laughs) here. (laughs) Because like this game, my argument with this is that like this stuff not, not making sense results in the twist being unearned, the finale like not making sense and not just from like... The thing where where um, Elizabeth drowns a Booker, who is the Booker from a timeline who didn't become Comstock, and then that results in all Elizabeth being destroyed, and also apparently solves the Comstock problem, like doesn't track. So like the the um, impact of that is severely uh, dampened. But in addition to that. Um, like there's not anything that's, if this game is just to set up like multiple universes and bring us back to rapture, like that isn't saying anything of use or anything of interest. Like, I don't care about establishing the Bioshock cinematic universe. That isn't interesting. That's like, I just played a 14 hour long advertisement. Fuck that. That's not interesting to you. I don't know. I find that interesting, but I mean, obviously, like, that's, like, a huge short sell on what they're trying to do with Columbia in terms of world building. Like, But they didn't build a world that made sense. They didn't build a world that explored anything. They just dropped the only part of interest on the floor. That was, like, the revolution stuff. They came okay. out with a conclusion, which I believe is bad, and then they just drop it on the floor and leave it there for the last, last four hours of the game. Wait, why is the revolution part the only interesting part of world building that they started to build? Like, is that just your personal I mean, preference and story? So, like, the sci-fi aspect of it is kind of undermined by it not making sense. Like, it doesn't explore anything about the implications of world hopping. It can't really get into what it means because it doesn't make sense. They're just, like, goofing around with, um, like, they put you where you need to be and when you need to be to make the story that they wanted to have happen happen, but I don't really see a reason for that story to resolve the way it did. But, like, the world-building part of it, the world that they build for the majority of the game is Colombia. And Colombia, like, is steeped in this stuff about, like, what does it mean to be an ethnostate and, or rather, it should have been steeped in what does it mean to have an ethnostate and what does it mean to run a revolution? Like, what is that about? And it doesn't... Oh, shoot, I just realized something. Fuck. I've been recording on the wrong microphone this whole time. Nice. We're good. I'll deal with it. Incredible. Um, sorry about that. It's fine. I was wondering why all my levels were bad. So anyway, um, okay, hear me out, right? So like, hear me out. Is it, um, 
the sense that I, I get from this game, the overwhelming sense that I play or I get when I play the last third is that the beginning, which is where they set up the ethnostate, but also more importantly, the religious state. And I don't know if there's like a better like one word uh, situation for that, but uh, like religious state. But uh, that I think is like front and center and then is goes underneath the ethno state, which is actually not really like they want it to come back. Like you think like, oh, that wasn't really what it was about, but actually that is what it was about. So in other words, like it's almost like the the revolution part in the middle is just something that they do to distract you. Like I feel like it's way less a part of what they want this to be about. And you can say, well, how do you fucking do revolution like that, bro? You fucked me over. Okay, fair enough. But the point is, like, I don't think, I think they want it more as a distraction. They really want you to get back to the religious aspects. And that's definitely called back to at the end where it's essentially the everything is all about the baptism. Everything is all about the rebirth, right? Like, it's, they they ditch the revolution ethnostate part of it. I think ethnostate is definitely one thing you get early on. But I think it's like, our minds like take it as the most important thing because how could it not be? But when reality, the most important thing is this religious worship aspect and they just keep that in the back and then they take that up to be the forefront. So that to me is like really what they're trying to talk about here and what they spend the most time in and with. So that to me is plenty interesting. I mean, I actually didn't see any kind of religion. It has religious imagery and father Comstock and the false prophet, they use some language about that. But like for the first chunk of the game, it looks like for the very first chunk of the game, it looks like it's going to be founder worship. And then they like pull the bait and switch on you. And it's like, haha, ethno state. And then you're going through a bunch of stuff. That's about like racism. Like it's just piece after piece after piece about racism. And then they switch over. They just drop that on the floor and switch over to dimension wizardry. And I didn't see until the baptism at the end, like it, that whole like basically non-interactive segment at the end where you're walking through all that stuff like that could have an argument for that, but I did not get any of that previously. We didn't even mention it in any of your previous episodes. So I'm not sure what you're getting at with that being a major thing. Well, what I mean by that is that I see it sort of as like, this is one way you could construct a religion. If you had the ability to tell the future and become a prophet and you could use that to lead a ton of people and you could do that to even create like religious wars and you could start attacking the country that initially you were part of. Like that's kind of the way I see it playing out is this incredible power to um, seem magical and seem like you can tell the future. And then that can essentially control masses to do what you want them to do. Like and I think the bait and switch of I thought this was a religious thing. Oh, wait, it's an ethnostate. I think is actually like the first step in the bait and switch where actually the bait and switch is no, it's more about religion anyways, as they proceed to shed a whole revolution from the second half of the story. But, but they spend like half the game talking about the racism and the oppression and stuff like that. And, and all that, that plot, they drop it and then they spend like the other, like two fifths of the game talking about, um uh like the dimension hopping stuff and like Booker and Elizabeth's relationship and 
alternate timelines and whatever. Mm -hmm. And they like don't mention anything about the world of Columbia after that point, really. Um, and then like whatever remains after taking one half and two fifths, I'm sure I'm good at fractions. Um, that was like that little bit at the beginning that was about religiosity. Like I didn't, but it, it's not, I don't, it's not just they mention religion. Like that's not where the themes end. It's more about the, the last half to me, if you're taking it in the religious quote, quote context, it's to get at and explain like how someone could go about using this incredible power to control an immense amount of people to do horrible things. That is a religious concept if you look at history with religious wars and uh, atrocities. So this is like watching a religious atrocity happen and then seeing how someone could pull that off with having a magical outside of what people would suspect to be reality uh, power, like telling the future. Like just with telling the future, you could essentially take everything and even destroy New York and kill like thousands of people and do all sorts of crazy stuff because humans follow magic. Or you could even, if you're really ambitious, take a Lady Gaga song and put it in 1912. But like what's insane about that is that that would be have you never thought, like, dude, I wish I could fucking take the popular shit that I've heard right now and just put it out earlier? I mean, that's that's like um, predicting the stock market in a sense almost. It's it's having, uh, in a creative sense, if you create a song like that, like even Lady Gaga, in fact, who's had a number of songs that are truly uh, transformative and powerful in terms of the song's ecosystem and et cetera, if you could have that as a power, if I could have that and take that back in time, you'd be unstoppable. Because you right. would get I mean, time, time travel breaks everything, but they didn't actually get a ton into like the real implications. Like I didn't feel that like they were really exploring those implications. Yeah. It wasn't as much exploring the, I mean, it certainly does explore it a bit, but it's more about like you uncovering the mystery of like, how did this, how did this possibly happen? How did this person come out of nowhere and just control everything and dictate everything and become is, a god almost? There is no how because it doesn't make sense. I, or, well, are you are you saying like this game is at its core? Like I think it explores a number of themes, but I don't know what its core through line is. Are you saying that it is at in some part about um, like what one could do if they could predict the future? Or is are you saying that that is the through line? That is the most important thing, what someone could do if they were truly a prophet? I'm not sure. I disagree that that is the most important thing because they spend the vast majority of the game glossing over it. See, but I, I think all... Okay, if we're really going to take a step back, I think the point of this game outside of establishing the other universes, which is important and I think is this meta level that's supposed to essentially open your eyes and open your brain towards the end to their to their cinematic universe. Uh, it's Columbia. It's Columbia. Just as Rapture was the previous game, uh, game's point, period, uh, outside of the themes in Bioshock and especially the like how they relate to our political systems and outside, outside of all that, it's Rapture, period. And I think it's Columbia but here, they, too. And what I mean by that is that Columbia has its history, and they do spend the first half of the game going into just 
a ton of detail into what that's about, how it functions. Like, I'm not sure. I'm not saying that it's like perfect, right? Like we've all had our qualms with it, but they're going into how it functions, what its lifestyle is, like when it left the, like when it essentially left our own timeline of America that we think of, like when it was matching up with history, when it wasn't, what it's trying to do, like, and Comstock and Booker are part of that innately. They're tied together to Columbia. So this is all in a sense building towards explaining that world. And I think that's really like, if you want to go out to the meta-ist level of all, that's what the writers would inevitably, not inevitably, but that's what they would want to do here. They would want to be able to create another game that would be about another place and that and all of these games Bioshock Bioshock Infinite and this other game that they'd want to make all of these would be about these worlds that they've created right and how they fit into this meta system so when you say like oh i think they glossed over this it's like no like i think all of the stuff they do to build columbia and then later to show you how it was constructed in terms of Comstock, in terms of his takeover and how he was able to manipulate this telling the future towards almost, you know, basically infinite power and then control this like flying city that could go and devastate and eventually war the country that it started from. All of that is building Columbia. Somehow beat 1980s New York when we had, uh, what was it? By that point, did we have like F-16s? By 1980s, probably, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, so... <laughs> did you watch the video I right. think you watched? <laughs> uh, I don't think I did. And now I don't, I didn't watch that video. I did watch another video, which I actually um, really quickly want to give credit to. Okay. Um, because this is what helped me make sense of, or rather make nonsense of um, some of the stuff. And this is just a video from 2013 called Bioshock Infinite Critique by Matthew Matosis. Um, so shout out to Matthew okay. Matosis for a thing you made six years ago. Respect. Um, but yeah, I, just, I guess I just want to cite my sources there. Um, he did a really good breakdown of the game and a lot of its flaws. Um, and I want to get into more of its flaws later, but quickly, I do want to mention that I don't think this game is about the environment and, and is about Columbia because they did a good job with Rapture of tying the gameplay and all the elements together to um, put the focus on the environment. And... They could have done the same kinds of things, but they like deliberately did not. Like they could have just done the same thing, right? And it would have been fine. But they like chose to undermine themselves in a lot of ways. The enemies don't really interact with the environment meaningfully. Like there's not as many puddles of water or or gasoline spills that you can actually use your stuff on. Uh, the vigors don't fit into the world. Like we've talked about all this previously, and we in by episodes one and two, we had decided, uh, I believe, as a group, that the like. The environment isn't the focus, the narrative is. That's what I have been walking away from uh, our discussions with. I think it's is might be a the bit the environment of, is not the focus. It might be a bit of a stretch to say that the environment in combat, not living up to the previous Bioshock, would then invalidate the environment in terms of Columbia and its it, story. Well, in this right, it's not that alone. I have more that. You want my list? <laughs> I think some of it would be valuable. Like, um, sure. So, like, there's not as many... Um, set pieces or okay so the loot the loot makes no goddamn sense um the figures don't fit in at all to the world of columbia no one else uses them there's not even little advertisements for i mean yeah like we mentioned before there is advertisements you can't say that it's there's not literally none um but like shock jockey is the one that they attempt to like 
make work and that's that you can power your home and then you do that like twice and then it never comes up again murder of crows and possession are another and i mean there are there are more advertisements there are advertisements um but they don't make as much sense in the world and no one else seems to use them um okay again i'm using absolutes when i shouldn't be something something only sith use absolutes um hilarious okay i've never heard that but, right. but like yeah how about the crow clucks clan what <laughs> the crow clucks clan damn nice I did, you never, just, did you just come up yeah what yeah. the fuck <laughs> damn well cheers to you bro thank you <laughs> give this man some reddit gold so like the the environment i feel is much less the focus because there's less environmental storytelling that they do um there's less uh, little nooks and crannies that tell a story. Um, the voxophones, to me, felt less placed intentionally through the world. There aren't traps, really, um, that force you to look at the environment. Running around and looting is less interesting because the loot is placed in just total nonsense ways that don't tie in. It, they don't uh, story tell, whereas they did a little bit of that in um, Bioshock. Uh and the combat not tying in is very important, given how important combat is to this game. Um, yeah. So I think you know it's it's interesting because I actually feel the exact opposite. Like I feel like the story building and voxophone placement in Columbia is done so much better than in Rapture. Um. But I think that specifically has to deal with the fact that everyone is alive when you go through this world, as opposed to in Rapture when you're kind of going through things after the fact. Like you stumble across an area where an explosion has already happened in Rapture, as opposed to being in Columbia when you go through an area right before a bad thing has happened. And I think that's, that's a valuable thing to take note. Uh, sure. Uh, if you feel that way, that's valid. Um, I did not feel that way, and I had m a lot of the sense that this game was a lot less about exploring the environment. Um, I guess it might partly it might partly be a lot of the level design is fairly linear. There's not a, I mean, there is backtracking, but it feels forced. Whereas, right, Bioshock Infinite is like a line. Rapture was a series of spaces with things in it. Um, so backtracking in that is like, oh, there was a story I remembered seeing elsewhere in this area rather than, oh, I have to go back to that guy who had a thing or I have to like go to this other thing that is along this line and then walk all the way back through empty streets. No, you're um, you're right because you could always go back to the bathosphere in Bioshock One, and you could go to like any old uh, map that you had been to before. Whereas this game like really drove the point of like when you would come to the end of the level, Elizabeth would be like, "Hey, I don't think we can come back from this. Are you sure you want to continue? Have you done everything?" Yeah, that happened in a couple of places, um, but like even more than like more than that, even um, it was linear level design yeah the level design and encounter design i want to get into at some point um the enemy design because i think that's something that's worthy of talking about um but 
the encounter design is like half the game is combat. Um, combat felt like it wasn't the focus of Bioshock in part because it wasn't great, despite apparently being able to aim down sights. Um, like it wasn't the strength at the time. Um, and Bioshock Infinite, I think, put a lot more emphasis on the combat, despite the combat like sabotaging itself and sabotaging the things around it. Um, right. I mean, okay. I'm going to say this again at the end. I did actually enjoy much of my time with Bioshock Infinite. I am attacking it because I see a lot of places where it um, failed to live up to its potential and also honestly wasn't incredible. Like, it was fun enough, but it isn't great from any particular perspective. But I didn't hate it. Except for the revolution thing. I really hated that. <laughs> yeah. We couldn't tell. Yeah, that did not come across. Um, yeah, I, I listen. It is so interesting to me that this game got the rep of being a better shooter. Because. Or like, I don't know how specific the rep was. Was the rep specifically the shooting is better in this game? I think that's probably the way I'd heard it phrased. I think it was. I think the, the key point there is that it's comparatively to. Right. The original Bioshock Which is better. But if you compare it to like, right. like Call of Duty or other yeah. FPSs of that time, then yeah. no. Which is interesting because the mechanics of the fighting are, quote, better than Bioshock. But if you take some of the engagements early on in Bioshock 1, they're far more interesting with worse mechanics. Like, it, like the mechanics don't get in the way. Like this... Yeah. Like when you said it's this game is 50% combat. Oh man. It's true, isn't it? And like I know the guns are responsive, but like I just I hate when they fill like that. It felt like a lot of filler in the middle of this game and I, I think that it I think it was to drive home the point that like maybe not so much but like kind of to fill out the character of Booker to be like, "Oh yeah, he was an ex-soldier/ slash Pinkerton." So this is like his area of expertise. Is the fighting. Yeah. There's like the, the shooties. The, the shooties. <laughs> they didn't They didn't have to make Booker that. They could have made him some other kind of asshole. It's true. And like, so like they, they made that so that there could be a shooting gallery. And so you could click on a lot of heads. But like the clicking on heads part, in Bioshock 1, you couldn't, they had particular set sequences, like most of the horror stings, like those or set pieces, but for the most part, you're wandering on an environment and encountering other things organically through the environment. In Bioshock Infinite, you have all these, like, every encounter is a set piece. You've got specifically these enemies and specifically these places, and it's designed to be an encounter. But all of them are forgettable. Um, most of the enemies, like, they do so much self-sabotage with the enemies. So... I Like, half of my notes here are just, like, the enemy's design and how it interacts with the rest of the encounter design. Um, so like most fights are just against the, like the cops and military police and Vox and guards and whatever, like the, the ordinary person with a gun. You can't even tell the difference between any of them. Like some of them have shotguns, some of them have pistols, some of them have rifles. You can't like tell at a glance what the difference is. There's no silhouette difference. Mm -hmm. um, so it's basically just every fight is against a pile of leadhead slicers or splicers, excuse me. Um, like Bioshock 1 had 
its primary enemies, which you encountered a lot, were thuggish splicers, which had more health, started getting fun plasma shenanigans that made them invulnerable to certain things, um, leaded splicers, which I think were slightly resistant to gunfire, uh, and like basically acted like most of the enemies in Bioshock Infinite does, uh, Houdini splicers, which acted a little bit like the crows, but were, I think, a little bit better because they were ranged. So the crows, I think, were meant to fill a role of being a distraction. So they appear and disappear and force you to split your attention between them and other things that are happening, except then they only ever throw crows at you. Again, I'm not, I'm using liberally the idea of only ever. It's mostly. They mostly throw crows at you when it's just the crows. So they can't act as a distraction. There's enemies that are occasionally invulnerable and it's pointless. Um, and then there's the nitrous splicers, which act like um, indirect fire enemies um, and are also kind of meant to be a counter to melee because they have smoke bombs and throw their bombs over their shoulders and have ways of resisting people who chase them. The wrench is too powerful for that to work, but it's an attempt. <laughs> Amen. Um, whereas in Bioshock Infinite... All hail. <laughs> yeah, all hail. Amen. Um, in Bioshock Infinite, almost every encounter is strictly against the police or like against like the ordinary guards with guns. Um, and there was no reason for them to have done that, right? They could have, and so it mostly becomes ducking behind cover, waiting for your shields to generate, popping out, shooting two heads, and popping back in cover. Like, they don't make use of the firemen, which are kind of the analog to the nitrous blasters because they have that indirect fire attack. They don't really make use of crows, who could also do the same kind of thing by forcing you out of cover, by making you retreat from them and before they disappear again. Like, they could have used them in conjunction with the regular gunmen, but then they just didn't. You only ever really fight them again liberal use of only ever you mostly fight them um alone like there's a number of times where the firemen will just jump at you alone and their kit doesn't work for that mm -hmm. um like handymen like oh, handymen are a whole bucket of fun they're just nonsense like there's no way to really fight them except for to dump everything you have into them and run out of ammo yeah i was gonna say there's and only like, like can't really two enemies i found that are actually challenging in this game like as a threat and it's like the handyman and then lady comstock's ghost <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And the thing is that they're not like challenging in a fun way. Yeah. Like yeah. they're just bullet sponges. They run you out of ammunition. And every enemy is that way. Like I fought a fireman, like there's that one point in um near the Lutessa's uh house where a fireman just like jumps at you and is like, Time to burn and you like I just took out the machine gun and I dumped literally hundred and fifty machine gun bullets into this guy's face and he's just like, Oof, ouch, owie, I don't like this, my bones. And like I ran out of ammo, like reloaded and shot him some more and then he fell down. And it's like, okay, so your kit was worthless. You were completely alone and you just burned half my ammunition. Why were you here? <laughs> and now I just have to switch weapons or buy ammunition at a vending machine, that's, which is a little strange. That's why he was there. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And it's like the encounter design is super obnoxious. Like you've got snipers, which you mostly fight them alone, too. Like it's just a sniper fight, which is in itself kind of an interesting like encounter. But it's it's just a change of pace from fighting explicitly only gunmen. Um you can also like easily like take care of the snipers with like the hand cannon or like some form of precision weapon. Yeah, sniper. So yeah, it's just like yeah. you can play it out as like this like you know intense like sniper v sniper fight, or you can just be like, blap. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's like the the encounter design could have been interesting if they had more of these elements mixing with each other. Because like the crow's kit only works when it's not alone. The fireman's kit only works when it's forcing you out of cover. Um, like the rocket cops 
are like, or like the rocket men or whatever, um, flat cannon, heavily armored dudes. Like yeah. they act as a threat that is dangerous to take down because they have a lot of health and they did interact with us. Like they were the ones that showed up more mm-hmm. motorized Patriots also were, um, like an enemy that showed up more often as part of it, but like, there's no way to play around them. Most of them don't like the way they interact with the plasmids is that they simply don't, everything's just immune Right. There's not like, oh, this works particularly well against them because they're vulnerable to telekinesis. Nitrosplicers, telekinesis, bam. It's great. It's a good counter. It's fun. It's interesting. All the interactions are just, it doesn't work, which is boring as hell. It's like, uh, any kind of your, all of your stuns either just simply don't work on auto patriots or like work for a third of the time. The only interesting interaction is if you use undertow on them, it shorts them out, which is just a more expensive version of lightning bolt. So it's not an interaction that you should ever use intentionally. Um, so like <laughs> they're just obnoxious cause nothing works on them. Their vulnerable point is on their back and there's not like a great way to make ways to turn them around. Um, you can possess someone, but sometimes you fight them alone and that tool doesn't work and you just have to dump half your ammunition pool into its face while it rips you to shreds with, uh, with its machine gun. That's your option. <laughs> like all the encounter design sabotages itself. I mean, you hear no criticism from me of that point. I, I no, completely yeah. agree. Yeah, yeah it's agree. it's really bad. Um, and like <laughs> they have finally, the family can agree. <laughs> yeah, seriously. No, it's like it's um, it's just like I was saying. Like it's astonishing to me that people say that the shooting is better in this game. It's like, did you play five minutes or did you play an hour? Because if you played an hour, you've already seen all there is. Um, that's a that's fucking a little glib, but you know what I mean. It's like uh, they do in- introduce some interesting plasmids, like throwing people off the world, but. It's um, what people meant by the shooting is better is that you're more accurate and that it does a better job at communicating to you when you're becoming inaccurate if you're holding down a trigger or something like that. And also the enemies respond to taking bullets. So if you shotgun someone, they stumble over. You shotgun them again, they stumble further, like that sort of stuff. But once you get out of that, it's especially when they have this whole RPG element going on where you have to be upgrading the guns like aggressively or else they become useless. Like, I remember not upgrading the shotgun, thinking it's powerful enough, not using it for a while, and then using it, being forced out of ammo with a shotgun. And it's taking, like, 10 shots. This is, again, hard mode. Seeing 10 shots to the face. Dude, the shotgun sucked. Yeah, but it's just, like, it, it didn't always. Like, th- that part kind of does it a disservice, where you're, like, you're fighting the same thing over and over again, but, like, what you're actually doing to them is, like, slightly changing, and generally it's just in the pattern of, okay, I'm useless now. Like, I'm not doing any damage to anyone unless it's a sniper shot. So then I was like, okay, I keep a sniper, and I, every single time, buy it to full ammo, and I kill everyone. Headshots all day long. And that's the only way I'm getting through this. Um, yeah, I don't know. This this game has a lot of filler in terms of the combat. That's what it feels like. It just feels like, what if we had a combat encounter here? What if, like, I don't know, what if there were some rails and stuff? Yeah. Like, what if there was some RPGs and stuff? Speaking off of that, something that irked me a little bit was the, was like the second to last level. Um, I've heard the area is called, but where the, you have the graveyard with uh, Lady Comstock, but just that whole map, how it's like a circular kind of deal. Okay. So it's, it's the one map that's like not super linear. Huh. So you can just kind of like go around and explore and kind of clear out enemies, which I did. Hmm. I was like, okay, cool. This is, you know, kind of neat. I can kind of, preemptively clear stuff out to then make this easier when I actually have to go do the objectives. 
But then I noticed that once you like clear everything out, then went and dealt with the the first instance of fighting um, Lady Comstock's ghost, to then when you had to go to the three separate areas to <clears throat> excuse me interact with like the the tears, I would I was like okay cool I cleared everything out so I would go to those locations but then there would just be enemies again, yeah and I was like, damn it. <laughs> And it's not just like, hey, we threw five <laughs> police officers at you. It's like, which would still be an absurd amount. Like, how do I say this? They have no respect for their own enemies because they throw like 20 at you. Yeah. And it's like there's new enemies next to like dead bodies. I was like, come on. <laughs> and it's just like and, and the, the whole line that fucking slayed me. And I just thought about him the whole time was when uh, Elizabeth like turns to Booker and she's like, it's right after you say, like, don't kill Comstock. Don't yeah. do it. And she's like, don't you fucking moralize now. And I'm like, Adam is fucking writhing in his chair. <laughs> right now he's out of control. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, the part that really had me writhing was, um, I've got the line written here. Um, so, like, she, like, looks at some some poor dude. This is right after, right after uh, our last break. Um, and, like, you see people getting on a barge and fleeing the city because the revolutionaries are taking over. And, like, she looks at a rich person after you've just done finished with the firefight, killing a bunch of fox. And she's like, look at this one. Do you think he wanted any part of this? And it's like, yes, I do. <laughs> I think he wanted every part of this until the slaves shot back. Like, <laughs> and Booker, of course, is like, did you? As though, like, Elizabeth being locked in a tower is somehow equivalent to this man profiting off the backs of slave labor in his pampered life in Colombia. And, like, fucking what? Like, he continued fucking what? Like, Adam is a man not entitled to the what? sweat off of someone else's brow. <laughs> I will drop kick you off of a floating city. <laughs> My God. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think games of this era, and by games of this era, I might mean all old AAA games and maybe even still the ones to this day, just fall victim to what if my death, col- death toll was like 5,000? Yeah. And it's just like, how do you have meaningful story beats in the same sense? Like when Elizabeth's like, oh my God, I finally killed someone. It's like, dude, I've slayed thousands of people with families and lives and i guess i just don't care just like i mean i guess you cared at the beginning i don't know i don't know that's just i think games at this time definitely really suffered of that and i think they a really brave choice that people were afraid to make was what if we attacked less people and had less combat and could focus more on the story and focus more on other stuff like that and i just I don't know, for a game like this, I would have served it. But. It's like Booker's afraid of like the or, people he owes money to, but it's like, dude, you just slayed like an entire city. Yeah, why don't you slay them? I think you'll be okay against the mobsters. <laughs> yeah, maybe slay them too. Yeah. Or again, you could just rummage in trash cans and go home. <laughs> but like yeah. <laughs> oh. But yeah, like the game, I think the, the encounter design could have been more interesting too if it wasn't like these massive shooting galleries that are supposed to kind of be like um empowering to players like if the enemies were interesting or dangerous right yes. if you went and you fought uh so say they introduce a different enemy type a person with a frontal shield right um so you know you have a dude with a shield who is preventing you from getting to a fireman who is um just behind cover launching fire at you like this is an interesting encounter 
at least more interesting than the encounters that they had given us, and it takes two enemies. If you made any of the enemies more interesting, it, it would be like you have to pay attention to the specific like three or four guys that you're fighting in any game firefight. But instead, every time you fight people, it's like, here's 20 dudes, blow them all up with your magic. It's like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And they just do the thing where they're like, you're going to be out of ammo with this gun, so you move on to the next one. Then you move on to the next one. And it's like forced variety. We need to run out of ammo, so here's a fireman in a hallway who does nothing to fight you and just <laughs> absorbs bullets until he falls over. Yeah, so did you? what difficulty did you play on? I'm curious. Uh, I played that on normal. That seems like a sane thing to so do. Not, not hard. I would have expected her to play the 1999 mode. Yeah. What's that? The hardest difficulty. <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, you unlock it after beating the game. Oh, Jesus. I don't think I could see her doing that. <laughs> I've attempted... I've attempted 1999 mode, and I think I gave up shortly after. I think it was on uh, Hall of Heroes where I finally was just like, Fuck "Fair this. enough, yeah." I, don't want to do this I feel anymore. like Zoe's wiser than the rest of us because she uh, realized at that point that that difficulty was not fun, and there was no like dick measuring contest <laughs> like that was worthy of suffering that little fun for so oh, yeah. long. Exactly. I'm just kind of like, who am I to prove this? I mean, whatever. I, I chose hard mode because I expected, like, I kind of enjoy a challenge sometimes, and I kind of expected it to be a challenge instead of simply a frustration. Yeah. Every enemy was a fucking bullet sponge. Oh, not well. Like, I, there was some some of them you could just headshot with a sniper, but even the hand cannon. Right, but like, yeah. but yes, I, I see what he's saying. Certain yeah. certain weapons are like hard coded to insta kill if you get a head cut. Yeah. Or headshot, excuse yeah. me. And then certain enemies were like. Um, like the rocket yes, cops. I remember one time shot. I shot. Right, you can shoot off their their helmet with a headshotty weapon. Yes, and then like I did that one time, and I walk up to him with a machine gun, and I like stick it up his nose, and I hold down the trigger, and he's just like, huh, and then just blows me up. Like yeah. he, <laughs> I wasn't getting headshot damage yes. with the machine gun. No, it's even the same with the sniper because I've done that where I shot off the helmet, and I was like, I have you now. Shoot him in the head, and he's just like, yeah, what about it? <laughs> I'm like, oh. Uh. <laughs> so, okay, this is a small tangent here, but something I've been thinking about a lot. And games that have a difficulty like this, in other words, they have three difficulties and actually secretly four difficulties, what that requires out of the dev team is four tunings of the entire game that are, in theory, tuned really well. And I just think that is a ridiculous ask of developers. I think I think that's essentially impossible because what Adam is essentially saying is I wanted a challenge. I played hard mode. Very reasonable. Absolutely reasonable to do that. However, what that requires of the devs is for them to have someone or multiple people who have a complete and utter like perfectly executed vision of difficulty on hard that also was perfectly executed but turned down correctly for normal. And it's like what this inevitably does always always in essentially every game i've ever played is it leads to these encounters that feel a little bit less designed and intentional because it's like oh you just did a percentage for the health didn't you or oh you just did like they take shortcuts but it's not their fault it's that sustaining four different forks for difficulty in a game like this this long that has this much rpg elements and this much growth and this much whatever that sounds impossible I mean, it is possible, and like I've seen games that do it. Um, like they could have, and the right way to to do this would be to um, like for each encounter add a complicating factor uh, for hard mode. Like easy mode can just be a numbers tweak where it's just you're a lot tougher or something. 
uh, or like the death penalties removed. Um, and even better than that would be being upfront with what the difficulties do. A lot of games do that too, where they're like hard mode just means that you take double damage and enemies have 25% more health. Um, but like good difficulty is tuning each encounter differently. Um, there's an excellent game that I hope to, if we continue this game on until 2029, um, make you guys play, uh, No to Love 2 Devolution, um, which has multiple difficulties, and each difficulty meaningfully changes the encounters. Bosses get new moves, or like their old moves now have different attack patterns to them. Um, the level also has like bonus complicating factors, like the... Uh, spirit of each section is maintained but the specifics of encounters are changed and they could have done that here they could have like just added snipers to individual fights they could have thrown in a fireman or a crow to each fight and have that uh like realize that difficulty um ratcheting up that mixing and matching mechanics gives you they could have done that and they instead chose to chose to make it a slider and then just not tell you that that's what it was i yes I just I even would go a step further and say, okay, like, first of all, that's very common at the time. And I'm not saying it's good. It's bad. but It's very common at the time. It's still common now to do that sort of approach to difficulty, which is, again, what I'm bringing it up. But to me, if they just add more enemy varieties personally, maybe I'm a bit of a stickler. I'm still not satisfied. I don't think that's enough. I want if I'm going to if you're going to present to me with the first choice of the entire game which is what difficulty do you want to play? I want to still feel as if I'd have a tailored experience, something that you've crafted from end to end. And just adding more variety still doesn't do it. I mean, it's a better step, certainly. But it's like it, it's, it's, um, it's still not there to me. No, I'm saying, I'm saying that they design each encounter. Like, I understand that this takes more work on their part than a slider, but if you're going to introduce this, then either tell us it's a slider or like a, a, just a multiplier on numbers or... Um, take the time and for each encounter say what can we do to make this more complicated and interesting this particular fight is a long hallway um and you know we ordinarily just have five cops here and we're going to put a sniper at the far end um or like this fight has lots of cover i know what makes that difficult we add a fireman to it like they can do that to make it hard and still tailor each encounter and um, Final Fantasy XIV sort of does this as well. Like they do it in a different way, but um, a lot of the really difficult endgame fights, they design the hardest version of the fight, and then they take away mechanics to give you the normal version of the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've told me about this before. That's, That's cool. the way their design goes. Because mm-hmm. um, like the, the most extreme version of the fights, like everything has to go perfectly, and you have to like you have to have a very coordinated team for it, but. Um, the regular version kind of has the same spirit and feeling to it and introduces some of the mechanics, um, but has stripped away a lot of the difficulty and has cha- altered things so that they aren't quite as punishing. Um, they could have done the same thing here, right? Where they're just like, okay, we're going to make, we're going to design this for hard mode. And then we're going to make sure that each fight has like the thing that makes it hard. That's the sniper at the end of the hallway. That's the fireman. And for normal mode, we're going to take that out or replace it with just a normal dude with a gun or uh, something to that effect. Like that's a way that designers can do this. Um, the caveat, I've never really done professional game design, so I'm talking out my ass here, but like those are techniques I believe 
have been used for this. Um, but yeah, the difficulty sliders are nonsense and all the enemies are bullet sponges, I suspect, even on normal. Zoe, did you have that kind of experience? Not really, but it's all right. <laughs> well, okay, that's fine then. Um, that just is to say then that like the enemies are not bullet sponges on normal. So maybe the game was just tuned for normal. My suspicion is that I don't know. Like I, I, I mainly play with like I. My my play style is not very like shoot them till they die. It's in a combination of vigors and shooting. So I don't know how much of it. Like maybe they are bullet sponges, but I don't play that way to like warrant. Zoe uses diplomacy. I guess. Yeah, this is the person who. This is coming from the person who like convinced <laughs> all the big daddies to fight with her and all the turrets too, and created like a PVE <laughs> scenario in Bioshock One. So that makes sense to me. Yeah, I think it's like. I mean, I just, I just use the sky. I'll hail the sky. <laughs> the skyhook is trash. <laughs> Wrench lives forever. So are you telling me that the first time that they hint at the religious undertones of bioshock infinite is with the wrench in bioshock one where they create a religious cult for it being that good right and deep plays by the writers yeah this is some like next level stuff and they're like we're gonna skip bioshock 2 too <laughs> that's the real reason that well bioshock 2 had the had the drill which is pretty cool True. yeah that's the real reason that this game failed but bioshock 2 wasn't written by ken levine <laughs> yeah ken levine uh, I have a, well, I don't know much about him aside from these games and I'm confused as to why he went from Bioshock to Bioshock Infinite because Bioshock seems to me to be a vastly better written game. Um, I can understand what the point was and it was well written and this game is like not a good narrative if you were like, if you describe the narrative and try to like, um, give the bullet points version it like doesn't make sense and says nothing and then the writing itself is ham-fisted and not all that well executed on so i'm like confused as to what happened is he okay like what's going on it's like i really like bioshock so, so <laughs> i guess this is where we can transition yep to what is perhaps the next and final segment of this, you know, tumultuous series in our podcast, which is the DLC. Oh. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So, oh. Okay, wait, sorry. Wait, quick theory I question. Are we doing a rating of the game itself? Or are we waiting for the DLC to give it its final? I, I mean, I, I honestly think... In all fairness, we should do a rating a rating of the game before the DLC. Because like I said in the episode prior, like, given that the DLC was released right afterwards, like, you can't say that the game devs plan to, like, have the player play both, I guess. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like Bioshock you kind of have to... Standalone. It, yeah, you, you kind of had to analyze both them as a standalone before you can un like analyze the whole which i'm sure like you know we'll eventually get to like what we think of the whole franchise as a whole like later down the road so i think when it comes to the rating system yes we should only analyze bioshock infinite itself mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And there's a um, point in time where they released this game so, and that was all that existed. Exactly. And I think that's probably where most of the fans jumped in. And I, I think it's fair to say that is an experience that people had. Yeah, it is kind of unfair to like release the full product yeah. but then be like, haha, but we're actually going to release this stuff later that better explains the ending. Yeah. If that is the case. I'm not saying that or, is, but. Right. Like, and that could be all well and good. To, well, like, yeah. And like, to me, it seems like the DLC is a way to be like, oh shit, our studio shutting down. We have all these open ends that we need to tie up. Yeah. So here's a little gift to you guys to like tie it all up in a bow. Here's Firefire which, slap, Serenity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Adam's vision yeah. is finally realized and we're all out on so the street. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when we rebel, yeah. he will support like, us. To be <laughs> <laughs> oh Do it, coward. Wow. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you're good. But like, in a way, I feel like the DLC does the whole genre justice. Um, but I do agree, like, the game needs to be analyzed on a standpoint, but... So, so we're playing the Horde mode, too, or what? With that said... <laughs> is that a DLC that... Yeah, that's right. That's a DLC. Yeah, that's the first one. <laughs> my God. Actually, that sounds kind of fun, but all right, fine. Whatever, that's oh a different thing. God. It does not. It's not. <laughs> oh, man. It's a single-player Horde mode. So, Aww. so for... <laughs> Sorry, Zoe, please continue. <laughs> no, we're good, we're good, we're good. Uh... So for our fourth and final week of the Bioshock franchise, we will be playing parts one and two of the Burial at Sea DLC. Um, in my opinion, it does a good job of just kind of tying up the loose ends. I think it brings uh, some nice insights into the connections between Bioshock and or Rapture and Columbia. And in addition, one thing that I find really nice about the game is that it brings some of that Columbia world building into Rapture. Um, so you get some, I believe the DLC starts um, in like timeline wise, it starts two days before the explosion bombing revolution in Rapture. So it starts December 30th, 1958 or something like that. Mm. So, um, We'll get kind of get to wander around and get to see the world of Rapture before people died and became all spliced up, um, and I, I think it I think it honestly does the game justice. So that is what we'll be doing next week. And I have a small and request for you all: um, if you are up to watch a movie, oh shit, uh, as additional homework. Um, so. I was trying to think of things that actually did do the dimension hopping or time travel stuff well and actually engaged with that. Yeah. Avengers Endgame. I'll say it again. <laughs> All you have to do is watch 30 movies. Dude, I was fucking... Okay, I'm sorry, but I was, yeah, watch the, I was literally talking. Watch the entire MC. No, That's what I'm um, saying. So there's a very good movie um, called The Coherence. Um, and it's... I can look up the runtime, but it's, it's a good movie. Um, watch it with some friends. Um, I, Adam, I don't have any friends. I guess my request to you is that you watch it. Um, it does the multiple worlds theory a lot better justice and explores that concept, I think, in a vastly superior way. Um, also, one fun thing about it, there kind of wasn't a script. Uh, all of the actors, they didn't get to see the script. The, the, like The writers had a script for it. 
the actors didn't get to see it. They were given cards that said what their motivations were and what they were trying to do for a scene and how they were feeling. But the rest is improv. Um, that's just a fun aside. Okay. But Coherence, very good movie, talks about the stuff that Bioshock Infinite talks about, but a lot better. Um, my request is that you watch that film. Copy that. Where can we get this film? Roger. And another side request, um, McCoy, I would like to continue fighting you about the revolution stuff because I'm not done. <laughs> mm. um, Tasty. And that can happen off the pod. We could do like a side episode or something <laughs> like that where it's just us screaming at each other about politics. It's titled, please don't download. Um, because <laughs> meet Adam after class. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At the bike rags. <laughs> the professor has something to say about your half-brained fucking essay that you wrote. Um, okay. Um, like I, 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 I want to continue talking about that um, just because... Well, for a number of reasons that I can get into later. But if you're up for it, um, meet me at the bike racks and <laughs> the I will flagpole. Yes. beat you up. <laughs> Don't bring, come alone. <laughs> I'll come into the podcast and be like, fight, fight, fight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if other people want to join in, they're welcome to. Um, I just recognize them. No, G- Gabe and I will just be on the sidelines and just every once in a while we'll be like, oh. Eating popcorn and, and being hype. Dude, I can't yeah, wait for like one of us is going to be on the ground just like completely submitting, just like bending over like, please, please, like let me free. And then like. Yeah, you, but okay. I know. It's possible. Listen, that's one timeline. Okay. But no, but then what? Oh, right, Jesus. Down no, no, but then here's what happens, right? No, I'm I'm Booker. Thank you very much. Um, but uh, holy shit! No, what the? Fuck? I know. <laughs> I love how I just I get to take that, so I just did. Yeah, McCoy's just trying to insert his own narrative. Exactly. Like, and, guys, Adam's a bad guy. Yeah, exactly. Do you remember when Adam said, and I just like makes makes some shit up? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember that time that you tried to convince us for years that I had bonked Zoe's head on a door frame in college? Mm. Despite the fact that we all clearly remembered you doing this, because <laughs> do we you all hoped clearly that by repeating this story, yes, we do, and you hoped, sincerely hoped that by repeating this story over and over again about the time that I hit Zoe's head on a doorframe, that that would become the story. <laughs> well, my this child. is a real thing that McCoy has done to me. Yeah, I remember it that. Did not work. <laughs> yeah, Gabe was there for sure. <laughs> Listen, I think. You can't trust Zoe's memory of it because she got hit on a door frame. And so that's just unrealistic. And and both sides of our timeline request, tell that. You, so But you can request that like five witnesses. You can request all five witnesses that in fact I was not present when this happened. Sounds like you should have hit their heads on doors too. Wait, so if you weren't present, how do you know what happened? Think about it, right? Because you told us and then stated out loud that you were going to change the story so that it was yeah, that's your word against my word. Adam, if you weren't there, then how did you know that you didn't do it? <laughs> and then, but if, but then, but you, and then, but if. <laughs> but what if it was me from a different time? Exactly. What if I'm Adam and I writer. are the same person and actually we both hit Zoe on the door frame or something? I think... I think we're done. <laughs> Isn't there a review section that has to do? Somebody sing the tyranny of thumbs. Oh, we're, we're beyond that. Okay, yes. Are we? Okay. It is, it is time for the tyranny of thumbs. The tyranny of thumbs. <laughs> Just for this game as a standalone piece. So, and given that I have no memory of whether my head was hit on a door from or not... <laughs> We will just let that lie. Okay. <laughs> However, 
All right. Adam. I know we we're gonna we're gonna open up a whole other can of worms on here, but in the scope of the tyranny of thumbs. Uh Bioshock Infinite. Yeah, so um I'm going to give it after careful deliberation and in this universe and in this universe only, uh I'm going to give it uh eleven thousand and fourteen points. Um so as I've mentioned throughout this, like I felt that the writing was sloppy and that it doesn't actually engage with anything meaningfully. Like it's not trying to get at anything or ask any questions. It doesn't explore any concepts. Um, its treatment of racism is ham fisted and regressive. Um, it, it was like commodifying that in a way that I really don't feel comfortable with. Um, the shooting was. I mean, better than Bioshock in some ways, but like the year is 2013, better games have been made. You can do a better shooter than this. The encounter design was not great. Like there's a lot of stuff about this game that left me disappointed. Um, the story left me disappointed. The characterization left me disappointed. The um, moment to moment gameplay left me disappointed. Uh, the world building left me disappointed. Like ultimately, I didn't hate playing through Bioshock Infinite. Um, like I was almost excited at some points to get in and play more of it, but that isn't like a game can be compelling without being good. Like see any kind of Skinner box game, right? Like any kind of loot treadmill. Like you want to play more of them, even though you hate yourself for it. Like Bioshock Infinite didn't do that, but like me wanting to play more of it is a thing. It is not an endorsement of this game. Um, it all told, it wasn't terrible. It had some cool things. Um, there were some cool set pieces and cool visuals, um, but it left a lot on the floor and missed its mark in a lot of places. And I don't even know what it was aiming at in most other cases. So, uh, yeah. And that's kind of where I land on it. Um, again, I didn't hate it except for the one thing which I did hate and we'll continue to fight McCoy about. Um, but, eh, I guess technically meh is a rating that we can give, right? It is actually, but should you dare touch the rating system? <laughs> I don't I have, know how you would. <laughs> I'm not going to touch the rating system. I'm going to gesticulate wildly in the rating system's direction. Um, and actually meh would be too good for, for how I felt this game ought to be critically received by a person who is making critical judgments about it and who is carefully analyzing it and what it is saying, what it is doing and how it is designed. Um, like ultimately I didn't hate it as a player, as a person going through it. Um, but looking at it as, uh, from like an academic standpoint, it's, it's not good. And I'm sorry to people whose game, this is their favorite game. I guess we just don't agree. It's okay to be wrong. You can just apologize to me directly, Adam. It's okay. <laughs> At the flagpole. <laughs> I was going to say, um, sorry you had like, to hear that. And again, so, yeah, thank oof. you for making me play this, because this was something that I had missed. I think many other people had played this game before, and I just hadn't. And this is a game that I think a lot of people like talk about as though it is a great game and it was like big and at the time and stuff like that. Like Bioshock infinite is a thing that people recognize and talk about. And 
I'm glad that I got the chance to play it and be confused as to why it was important. I can't so, believe you start with that. Again, is eleven thousand shit like that. Points. <laughs> hmm. Nice. That's because you start weak and end strong. Mm, I see. I mean, no. So Zoe ends with herself. Okay, I respect it. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> what have I just witnessed? Just thought I'd just thought I'd leave the leave the group chat for a sec there, just to collect my thoughts. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> was that you was that you leaving the Discord screaming for about three seconds and then rejoining? Because <laughs> that'll still be on Audacity, just in case you're like You'll never know. You'll never I'll know. I'll never tell. I wrote down the ta- timestamp. <laughs> I was gonna say I wrote down the timestamp so McCoy will like edit it out so he'll never know. See, that's, exactly. The thing I'll is that distrusting is to edit. Um anyways, yeah. Uh, next person who wants to talk about this game and how they felt about it. All right, go, McCoy. Mm, me? Okay. Um, I guess I see it almost opposite to Adam in one line that he said where he said, like, I enjoyed going through it, but academically, like, I don't understand it. Whereas to me, like, academically, like, if I step back and I look at the story beats and stuff and the themes they're trying to go for, I find that interesting. I do enjoy watching someone try to, uh, like play out these things i do find it interesting to see like where are they going with the story where are they going with multiple universes how are they tying this together is it related to bioshock like that stuff is interesting to me to go through but um the actual playing of it i i just didn't really like honestly like that's the problem that gets me is that it's sort of this whole like the shooting is better and it's like kind of but it's better in the sense of the enemies are more responsive or whatever else like that but i don't find that they're as interesting or that it makes sense to be shooting 5,000 of them. So that's the part to me where it feels like this is a little bit of a slog and it's not even a little bit, it's a lot. So I don't know. I, I enjoy world building. I enjoy that this game isn't just set in a nondescript universe that has nothing and it's just gray all the time. I appreciate their, they're trying to create this, story in this place and this weirdness and these timelines and who the fuck knows what's going on but then zoe explained it all to me and now i just go aha and like i love all that um i just think the actual playing of it is not that fun and it was like telegraphing how not fun it was going to be very very early and it would continue to be like that like it just kept being this like sort of interesting story thing mixed with combat encounter that was not interesting and then it just was like, I'm gonna throw some more of those at you, and it's just like, please stop. I don't, I don't want to use half these weapons. I don't want to use. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I just. I'm. I'm tired of shooting these people in the heads. I'm so good at it, I guess. Or they're so easy to shoot. Or I don't know. But then I'm dying sometimes, and I don't fucking know. I don't fucking care. It's. It's not. It's not for me. The combat, at least. It's. It's just. Ugh, it's so. Re- so repetitive and so. It just felt like these people you're shooting mean nothing and you're trying to build this story where so many things mean stuff. It's just ugh, it's just so fighting itself in that respect. Um, um, minor point of correction. Uh, and perhaps I did say that I liked the game or like the moment-to-moment gameplay. I certainly didn't mean that. I meant to say that I did not hate returning to this game after each break. Um, like <laughs> It wasn't something I dreaded returning to. And that's the best I'll say about it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ouch. <laughs> Burns. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, they shoved plasmids into this game, but they didn't do as good of a job. Like, their shooting is in theory better, but it certainly doesn't carry as far as they want it to. Their world building is interesting. Their composition and use of color is amazing. Their world, in terms of being up in the sky, is beautiful and is interesting. But you see a lot of shallowness. If you look around the corners, around the edges, you see it in the loot system. You see it in just going somewhere that they didn't want you to go. You just go around a corner and all of a sudden it's not that interesting. It feels kind of hollow. Uh, I think to me, if you add it all together, I really actually enjoyed the last third of this game or maybe the last third of the last third of this game where they start to take it into something that could be more. I think that's really cool. I like to see where that goes personally. But if you take the whole thing, I don't know, maybe a meh? That's where I'm going with it. Maybe a meh. Yeah. So where's that in thumbs? Uh, meh, which is actually a, a f- official thumbs related rating. If you think of okay. thumbs down, meh, thumbs up, double thumbs up, and star. As where, in, where's your thumb in the meh? It's somewhere. It's like a fist, right? Gotcha. Like there's no thumb related. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you like have a no fist thumbs raised to up give. in the air uh, to evoke <laughs> the revolution. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Look, I, t- I, t- I think there are aspects of this game that are thumbs up. Like, I, I really do. But How I many just fascism would you give this game? Oh, my God. <laughs> I refuse to answer that question because I feel like it will incriminate me no matter what I say. Yeah, he'll answer that when we have our schoolyard fight. Yeah. But I, I think there are us, like, like, for instance, when you go to, what is it, Comstock's Lair or something like that, and it's in snow, like, it, like the, the universe pops or something, and you're, it's snow, and there's this candle-lit entrance – and it's all gray and you're seeing it's beautiful. It's the composition is incredible. And you're like, oh, my God, like this is what they fucking wanted to do. This is the same pop that they had when they first introduced you to this world. And it's just taken me like 10 hours to get to another one. Um, so I think there I think there's really actually quite a bit of cool stuff in here. But I just the rinse replay gameplay just breaks my fucking heart, man. I just I can't get by it. It's like it's if I asked if I asked someone else to play this game and they were having the level of fun that I was having with the gunfights, then they would, I, I would be like, I'm sorry, you don't have to finish it. I'm sorry. I know there's cool stuff, but like, let's just watch it on YouTube. Cause like, I'm wasting your time in a sense. Like this, I think this game wastes people's time with the fight, with the gameplay. And it, it breaks my heart to say that, but it just does. So, meh. Cool. Alrighty. What about you, Gabe? Uh, well, since McCoy pretty much touched on everything. <laughs> <laughs> Since his rating was like ten minutes long, hold on. Was Adams not? Was Adams not nine minutes? Am I not? Is a man not entitled to his rating description? See, I think McCoy, the reason why people rail against yours is because mine was good and interesting. <laughs> Shit. Okay. Sorry, I feel attacked. I feel hurt personally. Um, but it's kind of justified. I don't know. Like I see the point there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, did, I didn't need to get that was that was unduly cruel of me and not even deserved. No, don't apologize because once you apologize, then people are like, "Oh God, maybe they aren't friends." Dude, right. like, I'm including that in my shame, McCoy. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, dude, you should see fucking what I'm just sitting here and it's like me, Gabe, and Elena just chilling. Like the level of like McCoy hate is like at an all time high. <laughs> I don't know like why my dynamic in a group of friends is like we're all hanging out and having a good time. Like let's just attack McCoy. 
But I just accept it for what it is, and I'm happy that everyone's having a good time, and I just sit there smiling like a stupid, like-faced person, just sit there like, I love it. This is great. I'm on fire. I have friends. Yeah, exactly. They're all having a great time. (laughs) So, Anyways, Gabe, what do you think? Uh, Going purely off of uh, thumbs, I think I'd give this one thumbs up in that I felt that the story was compelling enough to keep going, and... I would say that the maybe to somebody who because I think there's a lot of people out there who maybe Bioshock Infinite was their first dive into the Bioshock series. Um, And I think this would be a decent enough game to play on. And I think that if it were them, I think the gameplay is strong enough and interesting enough to keep going and to have fun with it. Um but as somebody who's played the original Bioshock, I do agree that a lot of things fell flat comparatively. Um, like the combat, for instance, while the gunplay could be argued as better, it felt less fleshed out and less like rich compared to the combat in um, Bioshock 1. And the sense of like player choice in Bioshock 1 felt a little more present, like with like how you could go about um doing uh doing engagements and this game is just like really pushes the the gunplay narrative it's like you know the other one you had like more you like more choice of plasmids and the wrench and all that and this game's just like just use guns vigors are here but we kind of had to include that because there were plasmids in the other bioshock so they're there but you use the guns um and in regard to the story I kind of liked the whole aspect of like helping Elizabeth out, but it, it got a little wild in my opinion towards the end, especially with like, like I said before, the, the summoning of the, the lady Comstock's ghost. And that was the point where I was just like, okay, come on. Um, and just like they, they really wanted to dive into this like expansive possibility ending where it's like, Oh, all these alternate realities and this crazy stuff, which I think is inherently cool, but I think that they maybe should have allocated a little bit more time to fleshing that out in my personal opinion. Um, yeah, so I'll give it a one thumb up as in it was a fun game on its own, but comparatively to Bioshock one, it fell flat. So you want to take us home? Okay. I'll take us home. I mean, I think Gabe echoed a lot of actually what I was going to say about this. Um, It's very interesting playing these games back to back. And by these games, I mean just Bioshock all the way to Bioshock Infinite. Because the first time I played these games, you know, I I played Bioshock back when... Around when it first came out, I think I played it in like 2009, and then I didn't play Bioshock Infinite until 2013. Um, now playing these games back to back, it it does give a good indication about, I guess, like the, um, just just how different these games approach different subject matters, and I think that's important to bring up. Um, and I think Gabe touched on a lot of that. Um, so I think I will also give this one thumbs up. Um, 
And I think I'll just give it the caveat that I think this game really does well with wrapping it up in the DLC, which, again, we'll be playing next week. But as a standalone piece, there's a lot that this game does well. Um, I mean, despite what everyone's saying, like I do think the combat mechanics are eons above what the first Bioshock ever did combat-wise. Though I think it does go stale as the game goes on, and soon it just becomes, you know, a room of 20 enemies, clear it, a room of 20 enemies, clear it, and it does go stale. But I do think it is a huge improvement from what you did in the previous game. Um, and so I am personally very happy with how the game decided to approach things. But then again, I think that also has to deal with the fact that I have played this game multiple times at this point. And I think this game is not very, um, I don't want to say friendly, but like it, it is not very friendly for people who play this game for the first time in terms of understanding the storyline. But I think it is definitely a game where you have to pick up and analyze each piece and it will take multiple gameplays to understand the foreshadowing and to understand the um you know to understand where people are coming from in each of the elements of the gameplay and true i, I don't think that's fair for somebody who's played this game for the first time to understand at first um and honestly like to have a game be good I don't think that necessarily means that they have to play through it multiple times to quote-unquote get it. Um, but coming from the standpoint of someone who's played this game, you know, upwards of four times before this week's playthrough, like, I will give it one thumbs up. And I am very excited to uh, see where your guys' conclusions come with you know, the next and final week of the potentially final week, because, you know, there's still Bioshock 2 that we've got going on, ladies and gents. Oh, like, oh, oh, we're, we're still it. going. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Bioshock 2 is actually not as bad as people make it out to be. It's the best in the series. Um, <laughs> I, I talked with someone earlier today who has that actual opinion. And Dude, it's like that could be that could exist. Like, oh, no, like I'm just no, telling it's not you. unreasonable. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can. We'll we'll get into it apparently when we play Bioshock Two. Mm. Yeah, mm. but for now, next week we'll be playing the Burial at Sea DLCs, both parts one and two. And um, all I'll say about it is it has arguably one of the best scenes in first-person perspective for. A video game ever, which I guess I'll explain next week when it happens, but I'll just leave you guys with that little teaser. So it's a clockwork orange style scene where you're sat to a chair tied in with your uh, eyes unclosable as you watch Ken Levine masturbate for 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, it's like a literally VR thing that you have to go. And you can't look away. Like you, the computer is, it's like VR didn't really exist at the time. Um, but like you, you physically, there's something about it you can't look away. I mean, I w I don't think I would look away personally. 
but you, okay. I mean, okay. all right. And we've anyway. learned too much. Oh, no. <laughs> and with that said, I guess that'll be the end of our podcast. So, hey, if you like this, feel free to rate us on iTunes. Thanks for not leaving us. <laughs> this has been a long episode. Thanks for not leaving us if you're still around. Hello? Alternatively, you if you've there? already left us, you're not going to hear this, so... Man, fuck you. <laughs> right? right? Is that fair to say or no? <laughs> I'm stopping recording. Right. Oh, okay, yeah. Great choice. Um, All right. So, McCoy, you're still fascist? Or? Okay. You know what? Let's just fucking... <laughs> this is not... You know what? Uh, stop. Fuck yeah.